0: what's up everybody today on the show we have ralph omen ralph has over 40 years of experience in elite level track and field he's the inventor of the 1080 system including the 1080 sprint and the 1080 quantum he's the former assistant head coach for the chinese national track and field team where he helped Su bing chan run 983 in the 100 meter dash Currently, he's the head coach for the Hong Kong Sports Institute and really is doing great work with helping these athletes achieve their best performances, make improvements even late in their careers. And the reason that he's so successful is due to his methodology. The way that he trains athletes is, you know, similar to things that we've learned about before, but what he brings to the table with regards to strength and conditioning is really, I think, something that's new and that a lot of people have not yet tapped into. And as athletes, we have to not only look at research, textbooks, and you know the more official types of knowledge or information that's out there, but we also need to look at what are the best coaches in the world doing to make their athletes improve. It's one thing to take an athlete who is you know at a, a novice level and help them improve, or to take an elite athlete, maybe help them improve a you know a couple hundreds on their hundred or something like that. But when you're seeing people go from ten-two to nine-eight or from 10-5 to 10-1, that's when you know a coach really knows what they're doing and is truly having success with their training. So in this, we're gonna talk about strength and conditioning for sprinters, jumpers, and other athletes. We're gonna talk about why you need to take into consideration the time constraints that athletes operate under in their sport, how you can take that idea and that approach to training into your strength and conditioning, how you can progress your training over time, and also some of the lessons that he's had to learn over time through the school of hard knocks. So, hopefully you enjoy this episode. I had a great time chatting with him and hopefully we'll have him again here on the channel in the future. But in the meantime, sit back, relax and enjoy the show. I was taking a look at Jacob's progress and that was really it's something to see, you know. In 2020 he ran I think 10:59 was his best and then as of this year he's run 10:11. And yeah. so I was curious, you know, is there anything that Stuck out to you as things that really led to that improvement, or anything that you feel, you know, what would you attribute your success with him to?
1: Um, oh, there's a there, well. That's a long story. Um, I suppose one of the one of the main reasons, or one of the contributing factors, with Jacob was that um, he wasn't really. I mean he ha- he has talent there's no doubt about it he has um very a lot of a lot of talent um but um he the, the, the what he was doing in the past was was both very stereotype let's let's get into the gym and let's get big and strong and then then we'll run fast um you know um and it doesn't work that way it w- it will work that way for a very brief, brief period of time and you might get some acceleration out of it but as far as you know um, your max velocity and let's say the last thirty um, yeah you, you, you're just not going to be able to put those pieces together um, so his strength training was 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 lacking um, when it came to the focus of his of his weight training um, in particular um, and then of course it's my or the, my, the way, for example, there's a bunch of us now that work this way. I mean, Randy, um, Raina Ryder, myself, um, and um, some other coaches as well. And, and that is that, especially the three of us, we've been working with um, the eccentric component for a long time. Um, and what we've seen through a lot of Pilot studies that, that I do with the help of my muscle lab system um, is that um, we, we, we track velocity. Velocity is, is is everything for us, an acceleration. Um, so that means in, for example, even in the eccentric phase, getting big and strong, doing you doing know, the typical sort of um, protocol where you would start with. 5 seconds maybe 3 seconds eccentric and 1 2 seconds in the concentric um and that works and i you know depending on the athlete i will use that sort of a protocol as well but once you've got you know, your, your eccentric capacity to a, a certain level um and you can't sort of just keep banging away at it, it's getting stronger and stronger and stronger at these types of, of of times you need to start adding velocity to it so uh, I think that's one of the big mistakes a lot of people make is that they they chase pounds or kilos um, for too long. And then when they decide, okay, now we need to get to there. Okay, we're not there yet. So we won't introduce velocity until we get to there. Now we'd start with velocity. And you might see guys in the gym for you know three months, six months, nine months, 12 months, and there's no velocity in them. Um, and that just means that there is no transfer. And not in my book, there isn't. Um, there is transfer to certain elements, yes, but max velocity. Um, I mean, Jacob is, is, as I said, he's a talented guy, and he's already in a couple of his races, he's getting very close to cracking 12 metres per second. Wow. I mean, he, one of his last races, yeah, I think he had 11.8 metres per second. Um, and that is... That is very fast. I mean, once you are running 12 metres per second, there aren't too many dudes out there. Um, what he's lacking is is his acceleration phase. Um, he's just not fast enough um, over the first 40, 45 metres. Once he gets out of that, um, I mean, everything's relative. I mean, he's run a six, 60, I think, is his fastest split. But you've got to realise that, you know, for example, Sue, for example, who I work with in China with under Andy, um, everybody knows that he ran the fastest 60 ever split on his way to his 983. But you've got to be sort of running in your 630s, 640s, um, 650s. I mean, you can run faster, you can run sub-10 running 650, but um, you're giving away, you know, a tenth, one and a half tenth of a second if you're running sort of, you know, in your, in your six fifty. You know, if you're running 660 rather than sort of 645, 650, and that's the difference between Jacob at the moment running a sub-10, because he's got he's got well enough top-end speed to run under 10, but his acceleration part is not. So the 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 biggest challenge now is to is to get the transfer, and that's where sort of all the research that I've done, and that's if you back if you look at my background with uh, me being the founder and the inventor of the 1080 quantum and technology. um, The whole idea of the 1080 quantum, which is the big system, was to be able to differentiate between what was happening eccentrically and concentrically. I wanted to load uh, not only big and heavy, um, but also I wanted to be able to um, add velocity um, to, to the eccentric part and then Utilise that enormous storage of of, of eccentric uh, elasticity and 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 power back in the concentric phase, but then of course use substantially less resistance in the in the concentric phase, um, and that was what became the well the robotic system, which is now known as the 1080. Um, so everything has has sort of been sort of focused around trying to get. And understand and facilitate that that we get as much transfer to the track as possible. And one of the things that and why I'm stuck with Muscle Lab, because it's I've got a an old system. Um, I think I bought mine and it came out in the late '90s, and I think I had mine very early 2000. Um, so it's it's 20 years old, um, but. It still works. There's been some updates on the software, but there are a couple of metrics in it that are um, absolutely just superb. And the, probably the the chief one that we use is TPV, time to peak velocity. It's an acceleration index, um, and that's the one that we, we might notice straight away. That when things go south, um, and you are, for, for example, getting um, fatigue—that that is the metric that goes first mm-hmm. um, you can still even though you're starting to get fatigue neurologically um but your central nervous system is starting to you know get too too tired um you can still produce some pretty good numbers when it comes to wattage and 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 force mm-hmm. um but uh, and this is where sort of only looking at those those metrics, um, for example, watts. Uh, we can get to that in a minute. But um, you, you need to sort of understand what, what is actually happening with the central nervous system. And TPV, when we started looking at it um, and following it, like I said, over 20 years ago, it, it became very quickly apparent to it that as soon as, as somebody was getting towards the end of their let's say their weekly cycle or there was a tough program and we had something coming up, and we had a few very easy tests that we used as a baseline. Um, one of them, for example, was that during the warm-up we would take a, a normal 20 kilo bar, and we would do a, a squat jump um, with that, or we would do a, a hang snatch, for example, a, a drop hang snatch, well, only with a 20 kilo bar, mm-hmm. because the most the, the most difficult thing for the human body to do is to move light like objects fast. That is. That is what you're asking the most out of your central nervous system uh, into getting uh, to move a a light object fast. So, therefore, that became our sort of go to test, which you can do in in any warm up because a 20 kilo bar and and jumping with it is not, you know, that's not asking too much for the athlete. So, we were able very, very quickly to understand that, okay. This is happening when we're lifting, and this is happening after this session, that session, this session, and it, it became sort of a, an obsession with us. Um, my colleague, um, Kenneth Rigberger, who was the, um, the head coach of the Malmo Sports Academy, is retired today, but we still work every day virtually together. Um, for example, we have a spreadsheet that Muscle Lab exports everything in, into Excel, which is great. Um, and we have a probably, well, we've got a lot of metrics that, we can get to that in a minute as well, but we've got new metrics that we use that um, we, sort of, we are the fathers of um, and that, that come about because of the fact that we've been dwelling and trying to uncover more and more what is happening, what do we need to, to be looking at, why are we looking at this and, and how do all of these metrics sort of play into each other, you know, what's what's a contributing factor? if this goes up, that goes down, why does it do that? So we're just trying to understand as much as we can um about the training process um and it's, and specifically what we're doing in the gym because I think that one of the the biggest areas where a lot of coaches can get an enormous amount of um uh, of um uh, of good and from a lot of work, work they're doing is to really to understand what is going on in the gym and how and how do you get it so i think the big takeaway for us is if 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 so we look at tpv for example if you're doing something and your tpv is is 018 that's 180 milliseconds now if you're a sprinter like jacob um he's, his contact times at max velocity are well under 100 milliseconds You know, he's down to 90 milliseconds. So by just doing, let's say he's doing squats at 100, or he's doing short squats, uh, box squats, for example, and they're taking him 180 milliseconds to reach time to peak velocity, that's twice the speed or twice as slow as he will be doing when he's asked to be running at max velocity. So you then got to realise, okay, we can either do two things. And this is where I think we mess people up a bit, I think. Uh, and that is that we don't just lighten the load and, and so that we get down to these times, we will actually restrict the the, the movement. In other words, we do a lot of partials, yeah. at least I do. Um, for example, here in Hong Kong, I have a a, a group of very talented jumpers. I have a, um, a long jumper who's last year had a, a very, very narrow foul at uh, over, overseas when we were there in Portugal at 828, so which is what 27 and a half feet. Yeah.
2: That's uh, far. Only a,
1: young, yeah, only a young guy. Um and if we're looking at sort of you know what he's doing um and what what he needed to do um, is um is to get these these contact times down. Um because the, the whole thing is that if you if you're sort of operating at, at 180 milliseconds, 200 milliseconds, okay, what's your event doing? Um, if you if you're in a, a, a period of of, um, of periodization where where it's okay for a short period of time to, to lift at that at that type of speeds, um, then yeah. But what we'll do is we'll go from a box squat, for example, and then we'll go to a 25 centimeter step-ups. And that 25 centimeter step ups, he'll be dealing with 140 kilos. And this is a guy who weighs 70 kilos. So he's he's using double body weight. But the fact that we went from a, a quarter box squat to a 25 centimeter step up. Then the TPV will drop to you know, so 012, 013. So now all of a sudden we're at 120, 130 milliseconds. And that's about getting pretty close to what he's doing when he hits the board. Um, but he's coming in at you know 10 odd meters per second. So we, he's still capable of running, you know, his contact times are faster. So then, for example, we'll we'll work in, in such a fashion that we'll we'll switch over and run. And do uh, ten centimetre step ups. So, for example, this, the session we did this week. We're, we're about to leave to, to Thailand on Saturday for a and do the Thailand Open um, Athletics Championships. It's part of our getting ready for the Asian Indoors um, in February. So we're going, we're doing this, and then we're heading down to Australia for a, a, a training camp and about three four competitions. Um, so we're doing 10 centimeter step ups at the moment <clears throat> as on at the end of the week uh, on thursdays and there on Thursday now he had um, he had 0, 0.07 in other words 70 milliseconds that's moving yeah so that means that he's they're they're, they're producing about 2700 watts um, and the movement is like 10 centimeters so you can imagine the acceleration and this is where this is where the, the, the whole sort of philosophy of, of what we're doing um, is is centred around, and that is there, there are two equations, and that, that is power is, for, is force times velocity, um, and force is mass times acceleration. Mm-hmm. So, and this is, I think this is where people get it really wrong, because I think the the power part is... Some people don 't quite get power, but they're getting closer to it but the, the the equation that they don't get is is the the force mass times the acceleration because if you do not accelerate or, uh, mass then you can't you can 't do very much with with the power part because the power part is force times so the force is you build up with acceleration so in other words it's 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 all about speed it 's all about acceleration so um for me, I've sort of gone away from, I mean, what as far as power is still, is still an important factor, but it is not the king of metrics in my book anymore. It, it, it is acceleration. Um, so eccentric rate of force development or concentric, we use what we call the EA index, which stands for acceleration, or elastic acceleration index, which is you get that by taking peak velocity and divided by time to peak velocity. Um, and it shows the athlete's ability to be able to load eccentrically and come back concentrically. Um, and, and you can see with athletes that are have done this type of work with, for example, with me or with Randy, um, or other coaches who who use this now, there are more and more people that are sort of understanding and sort of jumping onto this bandwagon, um, and that is that once you start conditioning them to, to be able to tolerate and, and work with acceleration, even in the, in the eccentric phase, then things start to happen because this EA index, it, it climbs very, very quickly. It's not uncommon to get people who have an, an EA index. Uh, in the beginning of three, four, five and within sort of three, four months, they're up in the, into the into the twenties, which is uh a, a huge, huge improvement. Um, and you can see then how that how they can utilize elasticity and, and the eccentric phase so completely you know in a, in a completely different way. The, the the big thing with when I started working with Randy when he asked me to come over and, and work with him in China was that um you know, I'd listened. To, I'd, I'd listened to Randy when he was sort of touring around Europe, and, so, and we've sort of bumped into each other, and and then uh, just our our paths crossed. And then he, in 2015, he said, "Look, come over to China." And um, in 2016, I, I started working in China, and uh, it's now 22, and I'm I'm in Hong Kong, so I haven't sort of gotten too far out of the way, <laughs> um, but. No, but working with Randy was was you know I I can't say even though Randy's not that much older than me, um, but he is grandpa. But um, uh, there are very few people that I've met in my life um, that has the the knowledge that Randy has. I I think that a lot of people really don't realise just how how brilliant this guy is. It's it is just absolutely astounding. Um, he's He's, he's just got – he has so much experience. And he, one of the things that he's done is it's, as soon as there's been any new tech on the market, Randy's bought it. Bang. He, he buys it. Um, and then he tests it. And um, we live together, uh, the, Randy, myself, and Damien Innocencio, which is one of the world's best pole vault coaches, French pole vault coach, who, who coaches a couple of the Chinese, and he's got a few other people these days. But he's back at home in France. Um, in in our apartment, we had uh, uh, there was a cupboard downstairs, uh, and it was like where Randy threw all the tech that he didn't like. <laughs> 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 like oh, I've, oh, look what I've got, guys! And he had some gadget, you know, and we tested and he, oh, no, it doesn't work. <laughs> and away it went, you know. But there's a lot of stuff that he does use, um, and um, I, I suppose that's where we sort of really hit it off when when I ex- explained to him back in. I think 2013. Um, at, I was actually in 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 Arizona. Yeah, he was working at um what was it? Was it called? Cool? Um,
0: Exos or
1: yeah, uh, wasn't it Exos, yeah. There
0: was it was originally Athletes Performance and then it turned yeah. into Exos.
1: Yeah, I think it was it was that and he was he was heading up the, the facility there. So I drove down um because 1080, we I, already then we'd set up our headquarters in the US, is in Austin, Texas, and we We I grabbed the pickup truck and I hired a pickup and threw the quantum system on the back and when it went from Austin <laughs> over to Arizona.
0: Driving and, like and, this.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh no, well, it's not quite that heavy, but <laughs> it, it, it is a bit of a it is a bit of a handful. But we got over there and you know I showed Randy and of course Randy's. You know, you you can only say that Randy's Mr. Kaiser. Um, and we'll get into that as well because that's that's another story. Um, but you know, we, I showed him the 1080 system, and he realised, you know, that shit. This thing works, and, and I think I sort of sparked an interest in him. Uh, the way I, my reasoning, what I was thinking, how I was thinking, what I wanted to do, why I wanted to build, and why I built the, the 1080 system. Um, and the thing that that Randy sort of once I started working with him in China, and, and I think it was probably maybe in late 2015, you know, we, we started talking about this, and that is what, what actually transpires and what is, what is the literature saying what goes on in the eccentric phase? And my understanding and Randy's understanding are virtually exactly the same. They come from a little bit of a different sort of, Process, but it it basically is the same, and that is that. What what we now believe, um, and there are a few researchers out there that are now looking at, at this, and and they're saying this is this is probably what happened, and you know what's going on, and that is that if you do a very slow eccentric, an eccentric squat, you're going to have lengthening of those fibers that are, that are working. During that that whole range of motion. Now, if you speed up that eccentric phase, um, the, so that it gets around about eighty percent of, of of your physical max capacity, then something happens, which is the basis of of, of all dynamic sport, especially jumping and sprinting, um, and any stopping and these sort of from high velocities. And that is that in order for the body to to get out of the eccentric position which i think is has to do with our ancestral past randy says it's it's a protective function but my function why my, my reasoning is also protective because if you if you think about our ancestral past uh, there were things that were trying to eat us um and you know we were being chased now if we were up in a tree and we jumped down eccentrically. Now, we couldn't spend a lot of time on the ground because then we'd probably get caught and eaten. So we needed to be able to to store massive amounts of elasticity and energy in that muscle very rapidly to get the hell out of there so that we didn't get eaten, or that we could actually grab something and eat Mm -hmm. ourselves. So what happens is in the last... Few degrees of a, for example, if you're doing a, a, a half squat down to a box, that is that. And this is what's called the DIs, the dynamic isometric strength. There is a a there is a, a a phase where the muscle will go into an isometric state, and it does that as Randy says, to protect itself from breaking, and also. Um, it does that to store massive amounts of elastic energy so that when things do stop it can get out of that position now whether or not it's to to protect the muscle or to protect the the owner of the muscle the being that's connected to this to get the hell out of there it's the same thing It, it is a it is a function that is there to protect us and we we don't really a lot of we nobody's really you know, stop to think and, and look at this um, because what happens if, if we do something that is slower than 80%? Well, then we can see it quite clearly. You're not getting uh, as much, um, you won't get as much um, power and, and velocity out of the concentric phase because you simply didn't store that amount of, of elasticity over such a short period of time. Mm-hmm. One of the things that sort of spurred me to to building the 1080 was there there, there was an Italian physiologist who was very much ahead of his time called Professor Carmelo Bosco. And and a lot of Bosco's principles is also the foundation of the way I think. Uh, I've met the man. uh, He was a brilliant guy. Um, He started vibration training, for example. He was the man who started that, uh, and it works. Um, Unfortunately, a few other companies just totally bastardised the whole concept, but it is is a very, very interesting concept, and it does do some very amazing things. And I've I've made a couple of, or one, um, vibration platform myself um, in 2007 that's still on the market today in Europe. But Bosco said that one of the biggest challenges in, in, in strength and conditioning is, was the eccentric phase, and he he was very adamant that there was enormous potential in the eccentric phase. And he said something there, and that was sort of my, it became my mantra. Um, And that was, he said that in his view, it was impossible to build an electromagnetic system that was fast enough to be able to go from the eccentric to the concentric, because of the fact that um, in the eccentric phase, you've got about a hundred milliseconds, after that, anything that takes longer, you will lose elasticity as far as, as heat dispersion. But you've got to turn around quick. So, if it's slow, you're going to lose a lot of the, of the energy, and the elasticity is heat dispersion. So, I actually highlighted this comment of his that you, it's impossible, in my opinion, to build an electromagnetic system that is that fast. Um, so, I I happen to live in Sweden, and I live in in the in, next to a city where the world-leading robotics manufacturer is Industrial Robotics, um, which is ABB. Um, and I was running a high-performance gym, and one day somebody walked in there who was on the board of of um, a robotic project with the university, and they they wanted to start something called health robotics, um, and they said, look. Is there anything you, that we can do with, you know, um, you, you know? Have you got any ideas in training? where we, we can use robotics. And I said, yeah, I do.
2: That, <laughs> I got a um, great idea.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've got a couple of ideas, and I, and long story short, all of a sudden I got I got a grant with a with a huge number with lots of zeros after it, <laughs> and um, I got a couple of, of very very um, bright um engineers that were working around robotics industrial robotics um, and they build a, a frankenstein's monster very quickly um, the problem with that was that they were already in the box because the problem with these guys were that in an industrial r- robotics setting you have a computer program that tells a robot what to do The makes you know if it's going to do it, if it's a six axis robot that's in a car manufacturing plant that whole sequence that it does, there is a program that tells it when to start and stop and move to the next point. Humans don't work that way. There is no computer program. It's, it's like, okay, we're going to do this. Boom, boom. Yeah. So it needed to have a whole different um, programming um, and, and a completely diff- different algorithm that was being done by, by um, the guys who were working in robotics. Um, and we try, I tried a couple of engineers, and they all came to exactly the same conclusions. They came from different. They started in different different points, but it all came down to the same thing. They couldn't get it to work. So, and I, I just kept thinking to myself, "This is crap." Because you've got to get this thing to work. It is, for me, um, with my background and and and, and um, what I had done as far as the academic world, it was like no. That you can do this. There's, there's no doubt in my mind. This can be done. We just got to think differently, or they've got to think differently. So how the hell do I do that? So I found a guy that, uh, that was doing his master's degree in phys- physical was it, it physics? Yeah, physics. And so he wasn't in it. He he wasn't finished yet. He had one final year to go. Um, but very very brilliant. Um, and wasn't. Destroyed or wasn't put, hadn't been put into a box by right. the industry. Like, this is the way you've got to think. His mind was yeah. way out there. And I gave this to him, and long story short, he rang me three months later. We managed to get it into his university there as as a science project, uh, and that his men, his um, his uh, college professor there or at the university, he wasn't all that happy about this project because he didn't think it was worthy of them. Right. Then when when he cracked this and I came down, and had a meeting with him and said, look, you guys realize there's nobody in the world that's done this. There's a couple of big American companies that have tried to build a robotic system or a system like this, and they've all failed. Um, And he went, what? And he said, he went back and did some research and you're right. Nobody's done this. And then all of a sudden we got a huge lab and we had all these resources because now it became, you know, something of prestige that, you know, he was a kid that had cracked the, the, the algorithm for getting this system to work. So that's the story behind the 1080. But the whole thing was that with this thing then that Randy said about DIS, it just made so much sense. Um, and when, when I came to him and showed him this, and he was already thinking these, in these ways, and that was what he was already doing with, with the Kaiser system. The Kaiser system is great, um, and it has, in my view, and the way if you if you have the perfect world, um, there is there is no doubt in my mind whatsoever that the, the absolute perfect world is that you get big and strong with the ten eighty system. You do the first initial parts of power development, both e-centrally and concentric, with the with the um, 1080 system. then you move over to Kaiser and then you move over to a normal bar because the thing is that the, all of these, these first two stations they are a hybrid um, resistance and they're not a gravitational resistance like we have uh, iso-inertial um, where you have something that it becomes very heavy as you accelerate it and initially, because of the massive acceleration, for example, in a shot put, it gets yep. much, much heavier than, than 16 pounds, and then it gets lighter and lighter. So we've got to re sort of recalibrate the nerve, central nervous system to those types of, of, of resistances that we actually encounter. For example, when you're a sprinter, you've got to get those 180 pounds moving out of the blocks, And once you're, you're moving, then it's a different ball game. So it's a sequence. Um, So the whole thing with all of that was that, and the thing that stuck out the more we sort of dwelt into it, was that it was all about velocity, and it's all about velocity in the eccentric phase. Um, And that sort of prompted us to to change things and and, and mix things up um, greatly. And and then I think the the takeaway also with Randy was that when, when I spoke to Randy and he said, well, I don't, we, don't lift, we don't lift slow at any time of the year. Um, I'm not going to have a bash at it, but velocity-based training, the concept that you go in and you lift at certain tempos right. and this and certain tempos and that phase and certain tempos. I'm sorry, if you're involved in rugby or something that you can sort of do you know, more grinding type of sports, yes, it works. Track and field, sprinting, jumping, throwing, forget it. Um, it, it just doesn't work. Um, and the simple fact is that you, know, you you need to be lifting, and so we lift fast all year round. It doesn't matter if we've got 190 kilos on the bar, we're trying to move 190 kilos in the GP phase or in the max velocity phase as fast as we can, always. If we've got 60 kilos on the bar, we're trying to move it as fast as we can. So every time of the year, we are lifting with, an, with the intent and this is this is a big thing also when you're measuring like we do if you go in if you're, if your athlete walks in and he's got 95% intent the numbers the changes in numbers is dramatic it's huge i mean we're not talking 5% drop off or even if you if you're operating at 97% that what happens to these tpvs and and so forth that they can drop by 15 20% so when, so when people say to me, oh, we, you don't need to measure, okay? So you're going to give away 20% in every session because you simply don't want to you know, buy some equipment. Um, you can buy some cheap equipment to get, get things started and then, and then you evolve from there. But, um, but if you're looking at world-class today, world-class sprinting, if I'm operating with, for example, with Jacob and we're sort of guessing and we've got a 20% gap that we're guessing what's happening in the gym. Hell, I, I might as well just, you know, we might as well just give the positions like, you know, the gold, silver, and bronze medal to, <laughs> to the opposition, because we're, you know, we, we're out in the forest picking berries. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it just makes no sense. So we, we track every session that we do here. For example, I set up the muscle Lab system and we track everything. Um, and we, we look at things like kilos per second, newtons per second, E A index at average speed, E A index at peak velocity, time to peak velocity, watts. Um, we look at uh, frequency, in other words, how many lifts per second are we doing? Uh, all of this. Now, it, do we do we follow thirty seven metrics? No, we don't. But it's there, and you know, from time to time, when I'm bored, I'll go in and I'll try to look at and well, Kenneth. Because he's he's um, already hit the uh, the old pension date. Yeah. <laughs> so, so he's got he's got more time than I have. He loves, he loves dwelling in these figures. Uh, I send him usually on on Monday after our session. I'll send our our program to him on an Excel file, and then he'll he'll crunch the numbers, and, and then he'll look at and then, and then he'll just send me a, a quick email, and he'll just say, "Have a look at the TPVs, or have a look at the EA index." Uh, at this, on that athlete, you know that that's uh, that's an that's interesting. So it, there's always a discussion about these things. Um, so that that is sort of a, a little bit of the 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 basic philosophy. And then you, if you've listened to to as you said, you've listened to my podcast, you'll you'll also know that I don't follow a, a traditional periodization because um, I don't I don't necessarily think that it works. Um, and the reason why it doesn't—if um, I go back to my own career, I was a—I was You're a decathlete, eight. right? Yeah, I was a decathlete. and I scored over a bit over seven thousand points. I should have scored eight, but I mean, I had a massive amount of injuries. Um, and the biggest thing was that I did the the thing that everybody did. Um, I got big and strong. Um, I'm six foot one, um, and I weighed about one ninety. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I could. I could full squat, what, 220 kilos. I snatched 115. I cleaned and jerk 155 or something like that. Bench mm-hmm. uh, bench 335 or 350, I think it was. Um, but that was all grinding. And the, the big, why I had so many injuries, because we were doing things and I was doing things sort of at, at the 250, 350 millisecond um sort of time to peak velocity phase and then when I came out to compete I was doing things that required you know 100, 120, 140, 150 milliseconds every event um, and the, so the gap between this was, was just huge and there yeah. a, a colleague of mine that had a perfect word for this and he calls it gaposis which is such, such, a, such a fantastic word. Um, which means that if you're doing this in training and you're being asked to do that in competition, the bigger that gap, the more likelihood of you getting injured or getting no transfer and getting no results, or all of the aforementioned. With me, it was all the aforementioned. I mean, and it really sort of dawned on me. I mean, I had eight major operations and Kenneth had seven and he was, Kenneth was, um, what was Kenneth's PB, 78, 74? So just under 8,000. Um, now, the guy has produced seven Swedish decathletes over 8,000 and one's done just, on, just under 8,500 from a country with 10 million people. But what we learned from that was that every time we had a major injury, when we came back and had done rehabilitation, um, the, 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 the weird thing was that virtually as soon as we were able to jump or throw again, we were, we were doing PB distances. Now, how in the hell could you do that? You've just been out for three months, injured. Because now, all of a sudden, the central nervous system was rested. Hello. <laughs> and it's sort of after about the third or fourth operation I had. My sort of, I think it was probably after my patella tendon snapped. Um, and then I realised I can't keep doing this. No. Um, and unfortunately. Um, I changed a lot of things and I started training myself and and using other groups and that but I made the fatal mistake then of of sort of changing things too fast and I had another injury which finished me off but it was unfortunate because I I was on the the way to a a, a big score when that happened during the competition but it really sort of made me understand that what I was thinking how I was thinking was right. And then I just sort of kept doing that. And so I started up a system which I I had a a meeting, I moved back from Europe to to Australia. And just before the Olympics in 88, Charlie Francis was in Australia and I met Charlie. And that was sort of like, we can sort that, that was sort of like a wake up call that was, it was like getting hit by a sledgehammer because this guy (laughs) absolutely just. But first of all, I, I ignored the shit out of out of um, poor Charlie for for two weeks. I mean, I, I just <laughs> didn't leave the guy alone for two weeks.
0: So sort I, of like me that's... messaging you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh no, no, no! I was, I mean, I, I think there's a word for it in, these days. It's called stalking.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> but poor poor Charlie, he sort of. he was just like, no, no, God, is this guy here again? Um, I just kept bombing him with questions and everything. and But what Charlie was saying was just making so much sense. Um, you know, his integral, uh, vertical integration of his, his strength training, um, the way he was doing his speed training, all this sort of running lots of repetitions at 70 80 85 90% of, of max. He didn't do anything like that. I mean, and, and neither does, does Jacob. I mean, we, we run extensive tempos at 70% because it doesn't tax the central nervous system, but as soon as we do any um, max velocity or speed endurance, it's at, we start at 90% and then we go 90, 92, 94, 96, 98%. The, the, the thing Charlie asked me when I said, well, how, how many, when do you do 6.150s at 80%, 85%? He looked at me and he said, do you race at 85%? And I said, no. He said, well, why the hell would you want to run reps at 85%? And I just stood there and I said, well, hasn't anybody else said this before? You know, it was like, hello, ding. Um, and once I started doing that, that was sort of the first thing. And then it was the accumulation intensification periods. Now, the reason I do those is is primarily because of the fact that we know that to get to a new level um, physiology wise, um, it takes about three months. So I do two weeks of accumulation, a recovery week, and we intensify two weeks and a recovery week. So my blocks are six weeks long. So that means that, that um, if it's a, a max velocity or, or a max strength block, for example, in the gym, then it takes six weeks. Um, now, if you do two of those, that's 12 weeks, there's your three months.
2: Hmm.
1: And the other thing is that with two week blocks, a lot of, if you look at traditional sort of way people work, either, either a step up or a step down, yep. excuse me, uh, most people work with four week blocks. At this level, when you're working a high performance, nobody, and I mean nobody who is clean, can do four week blocks. It just, I don't, they're kidding themselves. They really are. And if, they, if they're doing it, then I'd suggest stop doing it and watch your results go shooting through the roof because it, it I mean, if you look at, as I said, time to peak velocity is not only an acceleration index, it is the most prolific measurement to, to, to ascertain the state of and the fatigue level of your central nervous system. Because if, if the CNS is is shot, then it'll directly show up in the TPV, and then then I can say right, handbrake. But you've got a recovery day. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you do two weeks, then and one week recovery, and usually we'll start with, with two days, rec- um, Monday, Tuesday recovery, Wednesday train, Thursday, Friday. Um, and some days, for example, you will do a double on Thursday. Um, We'll have recovery Friday morning, train Friday afternoon, and then extensive tempo on Saturday uh, in the morning and then Sundays off. Um, So that's sort of the sequence. Um, And then two-week blocks, one-week rest, two-week blocks, and everybody recovers because that's that's the whole thing. I mean, it's well and true that sort of what I did and Kenneth did was to lift crazy amounts, run crazy amounts, and never recover. Yeah, well, you know, unless you've got ch- shares in the local sort of um, orthopaedic surgeon and his practice, yeah, well, <laughs> that's, you know, that's great. But if you don't, <laughs> well, what you're going to end up doing? Um, and I can say that I've never had uh, a hamstring tear on any of my athletes in, in my whole coaching career. And I... I I contribute that to the fact that I'm giving my athletes enough recovery. That's the that's the whole thing. If they can't recover, that you you, you, should, you whatever you've done, it doesn't matter how good your program is. If they can't recover, the program is, is, is no good. It's just yep. not going to deliver. Not on not on it'll it'll deliver on a short term, but not on the long term. And, right. and that is. Right. A, uh, Randy works in a very similar way. He works three week blocks, but he has a his third week is is his deload. So in in, in practicality, in, you know, in essence, he does a two week block as well. Mm-hmm. So I do three week blocks because in my third week he's a complete recovery. Now, what we do is the recovery is also different. I think from a lot of people, we we um, we deload by by simply deloading the the volume the intensity stays virtually the same it might differ just a little bit but Mm -hmm. usually i'll cut the 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 volume by 50 percent.
0: during those first two weeks is your loading pretty similar so you know if you're doing four by three on the drop squats week one and two would that be four by three both weeks at the same load
1: yeah Yeah,
0: okay
1: yeah it depends a little bit sometimes you know if if you can see that the you know it's they're they're simply moving things well too fast. I don't suppose you can. You, we we're never upset with yeah. moving yeah. Things too fast, but if if we can see that we can we can load them up more. We'll we'll just bump it up a little bit. Um, but I not see. not very much. But just sort of just tweak things a little bit.
0: Yeah. So, but pretty pretty similar for those two weeks of training, and then the yeah. third week you'll drop volume. And I I did hear you say previously that you might drop more and more volume the closer you get to season. So you might deload 25% one cycle, but then a couple cycles later, maybe you're deloading 30% or something like that.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Different athletes, you know, uh, have, you know, different responses. So you've got to sort of play that a little bit um, with Jacob. It it took a long time to to sort of figure out uh, how Jacob worked and, and, the fact that he's um, unfortunately, um, we don't look after our athletes in Australia. We we try to, but there isn't not a great deal of, of support for somebody like Jacob. Um, in Australia, it works that way. If once you're number one in Australia, they virtually throw the kitchen sink at you. But if you're number three, you get nothing. Um, so so there, he Jacob's working two two jobs um, three days a week. So. The, the, question was how do I load him um, to make him recover because if he's doing a session in the morning then has to go to a car detailing place and be detailing you know for three four hours and then get going home having a meal having a rest for an hour and then hitting his afternoon session um, which was what, what he was doing um, so last year yeah last year was was a, a big difference from the year the first year I coached him because we could see very early on that he just simply wasn't recovering, even though working with accumulation, intensification and so forth, um, he just could not recover. So we had to split up, for example, on Mondays, we have acceleration in the morning and we have uh, weight session in the afternoon. He couldn't do that. So he had accelerations on Monday, weights on Tuesday, mm-hmm. uh, recovery Wednesday, uh, and then it start and then max velocity, for example, on Thursday and lifting on Friday, extensive tempo on, on Saturday. So we okay. could do one, one session a day. That was that was it. Otherwise, he couldn't recover. Yeah. Um, so this year, he's he's got some funding. He made the Australian relay team at the Commonwealth Games. Unfortunately, the, the guy who was supposed to be the most experienced in the team screwed it up totally in the, in the last exchange and and did a face plant. Unbelievable, um, but Jacob had a very good campaign, he ran two sub t- two, two sub 10.20s in Switzerland and he was ready to run real fast individually, but uh, the selectors decided that they were going to put somebody in who was had run at the World Championships and ran 10.35 there and then ran 10.40 twice at the Commonwealth Games and here's Jacob ready to run 10.10 10, or maybe even better because he was in absolutely super form. Um, but they wouldn't let
0: him run individually. And some of these coaches won't, I think you've mentioned it, won't look at like for example, you know, like in a relay, since you're not coming out of blocks unless you're the the first leg, really what matters is your flying speed. You know, it doesn't matter necessarily your 0 to 20, it matters your your 20 to the to the end of your leg and yeah. um if they don't take that into account for selection for a relay team then, you know, you might be leaving out a guy who's going to be better, even if someone could beat him in the sixty. Doesn't matter if he's able to outrun him in the second half of the race, you know.
1: Yeah, it's very. I mean, I, 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 I'll admit straight away, I'm a complete klutz when it comes to relays. Um, I, because I've did the Kathleen background pole bolters. I've had a produced a five eighty pole bolter in Sweden back in the nineties. Um, I've had javelin throwers, um, and, and that have thrown sort of eighty meter mark and that sort of thing. Um, But relays is something I've I've Virtually not not done anything with So what I've learned from relays uh, In relays I've learned um, In my time in China under Andy Now Andy's regarded as as a Long jump coach Um, (laughs) I think he's disproved everybody that um, Yeah well I think he knows a little bit About sprint Uh, A short little Chinaman To run 6.29 and, and 9.83 not bad going um, and then you get the national relay team, um, despite having one guy who was injured, they ran 37, what do they run, 37.75?
0: mm
1: got fourth at the Worlds. Um,
0: so that's yeah, pretty good.
1: Yeah, no, Randy's, Randy knows what he's talking about. And, um, and like I say, it's all about, um, you know, the, you're – how, how quickly does a baton move through the through the uh, the relay exchange zone uh, that's that's the whole key to, to the thing and you've got to make sure that you've got people who are you know who've got good topping speed um so you, 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 the guy who runs first and the guy who runs runs last I mean um you know there are uh, how you can compose that, those two and then you've got the second leg which is the longest leg uh, mm-hmm. who do you put on that leg um it, it's yeah. You've got to you've got to you know know what you're doing. Um, I I, I learn a great deal from Randy there, and um, I'm I definitely I, I'm definitely not going to start working as a relay coach. <laughs> that's uh, that's one thing you'll never see me as. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, no. So we we've had the, we've had some success um, with uh, with Jacob, and the, our goal is without a doubt. Um, it's like the, the what's his name the. Was it Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson? Um, white man can't jump. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, we're going to get one one of these white fellas to run under under 10 seconds.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> there aren't too many of them. Um, no. So you know it, it's definitely something that we'd like to do, and Jacobs, um, you know, adamant that he's going to he's going to try to do it, and uh, we're going to give it one hell of a shot anyway. Uh, and we've we've seen that his ten eleven um, is definitely not sort of. Um, by any stretch of the imagination, uh, the end, the end result. Because uh, you know, en route to that, he only ran six. I think it was six sixty one. I think. And that's, oh yeah. That's that's nothing to be sort of, you know, jumping around. It's it's fast six sixty. Don't get me wrong. It's uh, it's fast definitely. But, right, but no. if
0: you're trying to run nine eight or nine nine, it's a different different ball game there.
1: It's a, yeah. it's a different ball game exactly. Um, so it's 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 a learning curve. It's not a it's not just about um, you know force development or power development, it's also positioning. Uh, it has to do with frequency. Again, he's got all those things because Jacob's got, for example, when when the, um, the biomechanics lab in Australia did a few at the Grand Prix, he was averaging just over five steps a second, which is extremely fast. He's got a very, very fast turnover. He's got you know, he's, he's, he's approaching 12 metres per second in his top-end speed. So the, the, it's all there. We've just got we to, you know, get it get it all to fit in. And then mm-hmm. um, once you get into that, that zone and, and start to understand what you've got to do and how to apply it, then that, that's when things are going to happen.
0: Do you think that stride frequency can be developed?
1: Um, I've done a bit of work um, with... Um, Professor Rick Howard from Western University. Um, we were doing a project together with Sri Lanka, um, trying to develop their, their infrastructure for, for sports. Um, and one of the things that um, I was involved with was, and Rick is, is a big champion for, is his, um, long-term athletic development. Um, and we've spoken, both of us here, in those presentations about just uh, frequency and I think that if you look at development um, over over the years from puberty uh, or from pre-puberty into puberty um, you've got a window at the age of about 8 to 12 years old if, if you do sports that are that are developing living speed movements that's when you want to do it um, because once you get to about 13, 13 14 years of age Whatever limb movement speed you've got, you've got. That's mm-hmm. it. You've got it for the rest of your life. So the only thing we can do then to that limb movement speed is is to put more power into it, more, more, more oomph, mm-hmm. um, in both eccentric and concentric. But the movement speed, it, it is what it is. Um, I think you can, you you can. And looking what we've been doing with the eccentric phase, I think being able to utilize and build velocity and any elasticity in the eccentric phase you will pick up a little bit Mm -hmm. um with that um but i don't my personal opinion is that i don't think you're going to make a significant you can make um you can make a, a a small improvement in in limb velocity um in stride frequency but you're not going to make any sort of huge inroads you might if you're a fourth fourth two guy, you might be able to improve to say four, three, four, 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 five, maybe. Uh, but then you've got to make sure that, you know, you're doing things. If you're, do, if you're grinding in the gym, forget it, you're, you're, you're cooked, yeah. you're done. You're going to have to, you know, utilize the, 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 the most up-to-date tools and thinking in, in what you're doing in strength and conditioning to get the most out of your system. And you will pick up a little bit because you're becoming better at getting off the ground uh, things. Things like um, seated calves, for example, uh, one, also one of these areas that um, I wasn't paying a great deal of attention to um, until Randy sort of got, got on to me and said, look, you know, you guys are too, too weak in seated calf. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, you know, he explained, you know, what the seated calf does, what the soleus muscle does, uh, how important it is to, um, in ground contact, it is it is it is what stabilises the whole lower leg um, and absorbs um, the impact um, and distributes the impact. So, if the soleus muscle isn't developed, um, then you know it's you're virtually sort of throwing a wet rag down on the track. You're, you're able to generate enormous you know forces from your your, your quads, your hamstrings, your glutes. Uh, but once that foot hits the ground, it's like a wet rag hitting it. Nothing happens. You've got to wait there until it sort of it, it sort of hits the ground and then mm-hmm. solidifies virtually, and then ugh, then I can get out of there. But if you've got that elasticity and um, you've got the, uh, the 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 capacity in the soleus muscle to to do something, uh, then you'll you'll be able to answer. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do we do a lot of um, a lot of things that. that sort of go backwards from what everybody else does um the closer to the season we get the lower the hurdles get um, because uh, and we i i can say i never i never jump hurdles over 40 40 centimetre never why why would i want to again it's like charlie fancy said why would you want to do a whole bunch of repetitions at 85 percent you race at 85 percent no so why would I want to do box jumps at one metre or, or, you know, thirty six 16s box jumps and my ground contact time goes from 120 milliseconds up to 200 milliseconds? Why would I want to do that? Mm-hmm. I, this is what I could do. I, when I was at my peak, I could, I could set up, in fact, I, I did. I set up the 10, one, uh, 10 hurdles um, and did double foot um, hurdle jumps. And I actually set up to her, uh, at the highest height, which is uh, <laughs> 109.7, so one ten. And then I had blocks that I put under. I think I was jumping at about one twenty-five. And I could jump ten. I could jump ten, no problem. Would you? Like, maybe, more, more, more. But I'd love to know what I had my ground contact times was when I, when I was doing that. I I I can guess now because you know we thought. That, the technology that i've had in the last few years so I was probably averaging around the 250, to millisecond mark without a doubt and that, that's also if you if you look at sort of like if you go and have a look at the combine test for the uh, for NFL um, what's the what's the, the granddaddy of the all the tests down a movement jump. now the, the thing that, that that we have looked at for example if you do if you do a um, if you do a full squat, what, what, what happens to, to, for example, time to peak velocity? Well, it, it's not that crash hot. Um, it's like you can. 0.7. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. Um, but you'll produce some pretty big numbers when it comes to, to power. Why? Because it has to do with, with velocity as it, well. Accelerate so, that bar. You've got so much time to accelerate that bar. So you get big numbers in in velocity and per se, you get big numbers in, in, um, in power. Now, what happens when you decrease the range of motion? Well, you decrease velocity because you've got less time or less distance to accelerate. But that velocity drop isn't that dramatic, but what that shift is enormously is the acceleration. It, yep. it, it just goes off the chart. So you're accelerating much, much quicker. So everybody who's jumping these big CMG jumps, yeah, that's great. But if you stick a force plate under them and have a look, most of them are doing it at about 280 to 350 milliseconds. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're a sprinter or even a long jumper who's on the board, if you're a world-class long jumper, you're on the board about 120 milliseconds. Now, if you're doing something at 350 and getting better and better and better and better at 350, that's that's a factor of three too slow. So, is 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 a counter movement jump a a test for looking at sprint talent or jump talent? Oh, hell no! It's probably the worst metric you can you can find. And the, the, why we how we sort of. Got onto that was that when we were testing different sports, now Kenneth was at the Malma Sports Academy, so we've got an enormous amount of data from a lot of different sports you know, short track, ice hockey, handball, volleyball, basketball, track and field, and so forth. Now, we are guys who are jumping sort of you know, you're 36 inch, talk inches, vertical jumps, uh, or at least 30 and plus. And
2: then you
1: have people who are jumping 20. Now, what was striking was that some of these people who were jumping 20, 25 inches, um, their peak velocity was very, very close to the guys who were jumping these massive big jumps. But they're only jumping like 50, 55 centimeters, and these other guys were jumping 80, 85 centimeters. That's a you know, that's a big gap. That's a yeah. gap. That's a 12-inch gap. So what was going on there? Aha. Uh-huh there's something going on here. So then we we broke down the test and had a look. And what, what was so startling was that there was people there who were jumping, who were, who were, who were deemed as being no big talents because they simply didn't jump a, a big CMG. But when you looked at their acceleration curve, it was like this. It was yeah. virtually vertical. But they just didn't have enough oomph mm-hmm. to keep it going. But their acceleration capacity was off the chart whether these guys who were doing these big jumps their acceleration curve was like this so he was a whole bunch of, of kids who were huge talents for for doing things fast and explosively but because they were doing a, a test that that doesn't show their true capacity, they were deemed oh we'll go and go and do something over there you know because, you, you, you know, 55 centimetres, it just doesn't, doesn't cut it as a high jumper, a long jumper, or a triple jumper.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We, were, we were looking at, you know, so a whole generation of coaches have been looking at one test, the CMG, as sort of the granddaddy of tests for, you know, for power and speed and, and elasticity and whatever. And it, it really doesn't show that at all. And, and this sort of gets us into that discussion where how do you look at power? The problem with power, and, and I've, I've had, I'm having a lot of discussion with with um, with Ty Seven, who's now the president of Kaiser, um, mm-hmm. because I I I love Kaiser. Um, it, it does some very amazing stuff, and especially one of my absolute favourites. Um, and I've got to again thank thank Randy for introducing me to Kaiser, and that is the the Kaiser rack and using mm-hmm. air mass uh, combos. Um one of, the, one of the crazy things when you hear a lot of strength and conditioning coaches, um, especially in Europe, but even in the United States, oh, there's no eccentric phase in a Kaiser. Like, whoa, what are you talking about?
0: They've never yeah. used one, I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, they, even if they have, because of the fact that when you go down very quickly with a Kaiser, because it reacts exactly to what you are doing, it follows yeah. you. It just goes, and yep. you don't actually feel the weight. But hang on, what happens in that DIS phase? Well, all oh, hell breaks loose because yeah. then all of a sudden, whatever load you had, it's coming at you like a freight train. Mm-hmm. And you're going to build DIS capacity like out of this world, but you've got to understand what it's doing. Um, so I started doing measurements. As um, soon as I got over to Beijing, um, Randy said to me, get your muscle lab out, I want figures because nobody's ever done it. I want to see 150 kilos on that bar, full mass. Then I want 50-50 air over here and I want 25-75 over there. What happens What in the eccentric phase? So we now know what happens at, at 100% mass, 150 kilos, what happens with 50-50 uh, air mass and what happens at 75-25 ear mass. And I can tell you that what happens over there at the 150 kilos eccentrically and what happens when you at 50-50 is about 25% more is happening in the eccentric phase, 25%. So those that don't think there's anything happening in the eccentric phase with the Kaiser, rethink, you're all wrong. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's just sort it out, whatever, get past it. Go to the next station. So the, the interesting thing then was that when when we started doing stuff with with Kaiser um, in, in our training, um, we could we could speed things up successively. So we'll start at hundred percent. Um, um, we'll do box squats, for example, at with a normal bar. So we'll mm-hmm. say going to say one hundred and fifty kilos. And then when we get into the accumulation phase we'll use 150 uh, in the accumulation phase we'll use 150 kilos then we get into the intensification phase then we we're still using 150 kilos but in this phase i've decided that what we're going to be targeting is the dis so we'll then start the first phase if we're doing two blocks then we'll do the first intensification we'll go 75 mass, 25 air. Then we'll go back and accumulate, and then the next intensification, it'll be 50-50. So it'll be 75 air and 75 mass. So then we've, we've speeded up successively, we've mm-hmm. sped up the eccentric phase um, throughout this this period. So we're not just targeting our power output, but we're also um, Looking at the at the DIs capacity, and and this is where it gets a little bit tricky, and this is where I've tried to, um, a lot of discussions with, with with a few of the guys, new guys in Kaiser, because mm-hmm. Kaiser only gives you one measurement, watts. And the problem, as we've we've touched upon earlier today, is that you can get people, for example, who are let's say they're doing twenty five hundred watts in a, in an exercise, and then they do an interve- intervention for six weeks. And then they do a new test and they do 3,000 watts. Everybody's hopping around, high five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then unfortunately, I come along with Muscle Lab and I spoil the party. Because I then show them that, okay, you've increased from 2,500 watts to 3,000 watts, but it's actually taking you longer. Mm -hmm. So the force velocity curve has gone over there, but we want it to go that way. We want it to go to the left. So all of a sudden, what was a, a big increase in power is useless because you can't transfer it because now all of a sudden you're producing it over a longer period of time. Now, if your event sort of wants 150 milliseconds and now all of a sudden you're producing it well over 200, you're not going to get any transfer. It's mm-hmm. as simple as that. When um, you
0: go, when you're shifting between the different, you know, loading schemes with the kaiser rack or going from pure bar weight into that would you go bar weight and then you know some air mostly mass and then would you go back to the bar only or would you reaccumulate with that same percentage of say the kaiser rack to where maybe you go from bar accumulation uh, a mix of air and mass for intensification then would you do the next accumulation cycle with that same ratio of air and mass and then reduce the mass and add more air for the intensification?
1: Yeah. Like that? Exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So once, once, if you look at the, whatever I do, if yep. if, I'm, if I'm accumulated with this and then I intensify with that, then next time you come around, that, that intensification, Shifts, yeah. Um, yeah, it becomes the accumulation and then the, the, the progression is then that intensification has to go up. Mm-hmm. It always... There, there always has to be a progression. Um, yeah. Always, 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 always. You, if you're asking the system, your central nervous system and your neuromuscular system to adapt and you're changing things, but the thing is you can't change like this. This is what yeah. we were doing in my days, and it, does, it, it doesn't work. It and it's just, going to be changes. You get um,
0: slapped in the face with, with it yeah. if you change too drastically.
1: Yeah, exactly, and and you're just introducing yourself to all sorts of injuries and you know and risk for injury and so forth, muscle soreness, you know DOMS, and, and it's you know I mean we Kenneth Kenneth and I, Kenneth was even more extreme because he trained with a couple of guys in Sweden who were sort of legendary, athletes as far as you know and the amount of punishment they could uh, you know inflict, and they were doing <laughs> sort of one and a half hour squat sessions. Oh, yeah, I'm serious. I mean, back in the late 70s, they were doing one and a half hour squat sessions. And, you know, and we 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 sit here today and we will get on like you and I are now and we'll just sit here and talk, you know, for like several hours and we'll just go through the numbers and, and look at, you know, how many tons they lifted and we just go, what in God's name were you guys thinking, you know? I mean, what did you do on the, the, the following two days? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, we were pretty sore. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> like, so what was, you know, when when did you do your your, your your max velocity running? Like, you know, your 90s, 30, 30, 30s? Oh, never. Never. Did, you couldn't. We didn't run, did run through 120s. Like, so the last 10 was probably the quickest. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's just mind boggling. But, and, and unfortunately, we still have a lot of stuff. If you look at um, on YouTube, I mean, there's a lot of stuff. For example, with um, Russian training methodology. Yeah. Um. I mean, the Russians did a. What's? Well, yeah, yeah, we can touch on that. The big problem with the Rus- with Russians and their their sports these days is that there's a whole generation of coaches. That uh, are following old principles. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, those principles were built up on drug use. So the problem is that we, with these new, with the new generation that's come, um, they some of them are well, we know of getting caught, uh, but mm-hmm. um, there are coaches who are who are of course not using drugs. Yeah. But there's, they they still haven't broken out of that mold of of, of the old Soviet training, and the problem is. Um, and that's one of the things, for example, that, that they do in China. It's massive volume, massive volume, um, because they have elasticity. Uh, that's one of, the, you know, one of the features of Asians. They have fantastic elasticity. And unfortunately, they, they absolutely belt the crap out of that because they just do too much volume. So they've yeah. got something that's unique to them, elasticity, and they're, and, and they're just absolutely killing themselves with, with volume. So you've got all these crazy things like the Russians did, you know, I mean, um, drop jumps from two and a half metres. Yeah. I mean, really? I mean, it's just, you, you just sort of cringe at the whole thing, you know, when you know the figures from somebody drop jumping. Like, there is nobody on this planet that can do a drop jump from a metre and do something, you know, fast. Yeah. Why in God's name would you want to jump from two and a half meters? Mm-hmm. It's it's just totally sort of. But I mean, if you're juiced up with everything that's virtually available at the pharmacy, yeah, I'm sure it'll work. But yeah, good luck with that one.
0: Yeah, it's the the more is better mentality.
1: Yeah, um, and and that's that's also one of the philosophies that that um, both myself, Randy, uh, and a few of the other guys that I work with. We we try to simplify as much as possible. We we gather as much data as we can so we can make correct decisions and understand what's happening with our athletes during the process of training, but we always try to simplify. Um, uh, more is not better, better is better. Um, yeah. And we try to make you know um, the best choices that we can, because we use technology to, to sort of sort of Get, get rid of all the smoke and all the static and, and try to f- understand, okay, this is what's important. Um, so, for example, as I said earlier, we've got probably in our spreadsheet something like 40 metrics, but there's only really three or four metrics that I follow. It's TPV. I do look at watts, of course. Um, and then we look at the, um, the, the EA index to see what's mm-hmm. happening with in Regards to my eccentric phase, can I utilise my, my eccentric capacity? Um, and if I can do that, and my EA index at peak velocity is moving in the right direction, then you know. But if mm-hmm. if I see that all of a sudden that the EA index is stopping, it's we've we've done it four weeks or whatever of of, of our six week block, and I can see that the EA index is just it's actually stopped, and it's uh, it's starting to actually drop, then then I realise, okay, something's going on, we're going to have to look at, you know, are they recovering? You know, what's going on? Um, How much are they, you know, most of my my athletes, they're they're, they're still at university here um, and they have exams and, you know, and so forth and everything, everybody knows that, you know, once that comes up, then you know, they're stressed out from exams and, you know, they're having to do this and that and so forth and and that means that if, if if my block of let's say max velocity uh, phase at the moment, or it might be max uh, strength phase, coincides with that, well then you know that's going to mean more neural fatigue for them. Um, and they they most of the time they won't sort of get through a whole block without me doing some sort of a, of a change. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that change is always um, to make sure that they don't. All the pieces and that that's i mean it doesn't matter how much talent you've got if you're injured um and you can't train because you you know you've got you, you've got muscle soreness you know delayed muscle soreness for, th- for three days um but like we used to have um <laughs> and you know it, it you you're, you're doing them a disservice and you you're not learning anything yourself
0: mm-hmm. um, one one question i have is how do you go about selecting? the loads at any given point in time, because, you know, if I'm looking at a a bar and I can throw on, okay, I'm on the Kaiser rack. I'm going to do a mix of air and mass. How do I know that I'm not going overboard on the horse side? Am I, would it simply be a cutoff of TPV? Would it be just sort of a general, you know, when you look at it on film, if you're by yourself, like I am, or you're coaching someone as you are, are you simply eyeing it or, you know, that's one thing. Cause a lot of people who watch my channel don't have coaches themselves. So they're kind of on their own. Same with me. So what advice would you have for selecting loads, whether it be a max strength phase or an intensification, you know, where you're switching to the step ups, whatever it may be, what do you, what kind of process do you go through to kind of decipher, okay, is, you know, 150 kilos enough, or does this person need 180 kilos, or are they going to be okay at 130, or that sort of thing?
1: Well, first of all, I think um, it, it gets a bit strange um, to say this, but I've got no idea how strong my athletes are. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know how. For example, I don't know what they can max out in a, in a box court. Um, yeah, that's not interesting. Uh, we we never do less than two reps for the most, for the most part, we're doing threes and fours. Mm-hmm. Um, why fours? Um, because if you look at, at, um, at power development, um, the rate of force development or whatever you, you, you're looking at um, and you, you, your intent is to move that whatever weight uh, as fast as possible. Um, you will reach your best lift in the second, sometimes the third lift, fourth, you're dropping yeah. fifths, dropping 6 you're dropping sevenths. Drop. So th- this thing about people doing three times eight for, for power development, for God's sake, stop doing that. Shift yeah. it, eight times three. Yeah. Eight times three is 24, three times eight is 24. You're lifting just as much weight, but you watch the numbers that you're going to produce by doing eight sets of three rather than three sets of eight. It, it is, it's night and day. Yeah, it's
0: astronomically different.
1: Yeah. Uh, huge. Um, so... Um, to answer your question, um, most of the time I'll go by TPV. So I, I know with my long jumpers, I've got long jumpers and high jumpers here. So I've got a young kid now who's, who just missed two, what is it, seven foot three in, in practice the other day. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, he's been wandering around inside the Institute here for like a year, didn't have a coach. Uh, they didn't think he was very, very talented. Um <laughs> The kid's got elasticity just running out of his feet. He's only five foot, what is he, five foot 11? So he's got high jump standards. He's a a short guy. But get this, Sweden has produced two guys who are under six feet. One's jumped 240, one in Olympic Games. The other one jumped 238. Unfortunately, his career was cut short by um, an overzealous coach who just absolutely ground him to to nothing but he jumped 238 so why did they jump 238 and 240 because they they were very very explosive um they could harness what they had um and um so you don't need to be six foot six to jump you know big heights and high jump yeah definitely not um but um
0: like say you're in a match strength phase what would be a tpv that would be too long for you that you would say "Eh, this is starting to get a little little questionable as far as the real
1: exactly well if if you look at my two so i've got high jumpers and um and long jumpers now my long jumpers i've got i've got a a girl who's jumping six and a half meters um she's ready to, to go another 20 30 centimeters this year i think so she she's gonna you know be um, sort of world class. Um, so she's on the board probably about 150, 160 milliseconds. The young chap that I've got who who's ready to go eight meters plus um, again, um, he's probably look, well, anybody who's jumping those distances, you're, you're down about 120, 130 milliseconds. Um, high jumper, the young chap that I've got. Uh, who's now up at 220 plus level. Um, When he's jumping that, he's probably in the ground 180, 225, 230 maybe, somewhere around there, maybe 240. I've got a female jumping six foot three, six foot four, is it? 188, 190. Um, So she'll be a little bit longer. She's probably in the 250 range. So looking at that, then I know what their events, and then, of course, you've got the long jumpers said, you've got a, a, a horizontal component there as well, so we need to build their capacity there because they, they need to be get faster and faster. There's no doubt about that. But he, this is where also it becomes tricky in the long jump, for example, because here you've got horizontal velocity, you've got to transfer that to about 26, 28 degrees um, of lift from the board, so you're going to have a problem. If your... Horizontal velocity increases, let's say half a meter per second. That means that you're going to need a lot more eccentric fast capacity to be able to withstand that. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to utilize that capacity whatsoever. So if your if your eccentric capacity has gone nowhere, but your horizontal capacity is has. It's going to be difficult to get anything done with this because you simply won't be able to do anything on the board. So, therefore, then we're always looking at going a little bit faster. So that, for example, if we look at the the um, the max strength phase, um, we if we take my my male long jumper for example, we know that sort of anything that's above. 180 milliseconds is, is just a waste of time um, yes he's going to get real strong and for, for us like anything over 200 milliseconds that's grinding because it's so far away from what we're actually doing horizontal velocity or what we're actually doing on the board um, so most of the time with him if we're doing a max, max strength phase if we are getting close to 180 milliseconds 018 and the tpv then that's it we we won't load any more um and if we do load more we'll shorten the range of motion that is that's always the takeaway so we'll we'll select a a height on the box that that transfers to around about the sort of 160 170 milliseconds when we start that phase and as we get into the max max uh, strength phase not only do the weights move a little bit, but we're trying to move them faster. So then if if I can see that, okay, at a set box height, let's say if it's a, I don't know, a 30 inch box that we're using, that it's using, uh, and I can see that, okay, the TPV is getting a little bit faster, a little bit faster, a little bit faster. Okay, interesting. Then I'm, I'm happy. So then what we'll do is in the next phase here, we can actually, increase the load a little bit, and then we can actually increase the box a little bit. So now all of a sudden, I'm lifting a little bit more more weight, but I'm doing it a little bit faster. So now all of a sudden, the TPVs crept down to maybe 150. And as I said, the the other end of that spectrum is the the 25-centimeter step-ups. Um, they are sort of at 014, 015, 150 milliseconds ten centimeter step ups were at seventy milliseconds so it all shifts towards that and like i said the 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 step ups that we're doing at the moment he's using yeah double body weight virtually double body weight just under um, and he he's moving it at seventy milliseconds which means that he's not that fast, if he was running at max velocity, he's not that fast in the ground. Uh, and, and it's way faster than what he's going to be on the board. So we've got capacity. So that means that in, in this case, I can load him up with, this is what tells me that I can load him up in the next max uh, strength phase um, that we're going to be doing for the outdoor season, um, for Asian Outdoors in July, for example. After we go back from our training camp from Australia, we've got the indoors in February, and then we've got a bit of a, a build up again in March, April, and then we're going to we'll, we'll be out outdoors again. Um, so in that phase, we will go back, and I'll increase the weight uh, of those 10 centimeters uh, step ups or can and step downs because they are? Because you lift your foot and then you you attack the the, the, the um, the box so it it is actually it's not stepping up it's stepping down
0: see if i can pull up a video here real quick i just want to see if this is something that you would say is just simply too slow so would you ever do go to this depth or would you keep it higher
1: no that's probably about the maximum depth that we would go in in our first um, sort of initial gp okay that's about it Um, gotcha and then from there we 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 work our way up
0: okay Um, yeah that was 84 kilos plus 63 kilos of air and mm -hmm. it just felt it just intuitively felt too slow to me and that's one of those things where like i said you know you you look at research you listen to a strength coach and it's like no we got to be pushing these weights but personally i just want to move lighter weights fast, and then try to increase that over time that I'm moving, whatever velocity I'm moving it at, I'd rather progress the weight according to staying within that velocity zone if I can, rather than going to these extremes of, okay, now I'm going to work up to a 385, 405 squat and then try to drop it down and move it faster. It just seems like, um, I don't know, I I get caught between the two two places. So, okay, so that would be a, a GPP Type of uh, type of movement for you,
1: yeah. And always, okay. if, for example, when we're doing this type of of, um, of work, uh, even if it's it's faster or in a in a higher and a box squat, for example, uh, always after every set we do, um, let's say a box squat, then we do ankle pops. Uh, mm. In the next, we've got three Kaiser racks next to each other, so we'll do we'll do ankle pops with, for example, twenty kilos of, of air. Okay. So you use the, the light bar, which is uh, weighs virtually nothing, and then we add 20, uh, 18 kilos. So I think it weighs two kilos, so twenty kilos, um, and we'll do ankle pops, and then then we'll drop the 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 weight as we get into the intensification. Um, we'll drop, yeah, exactly, um, exactly. So we that they are always in in every time we do squats, we're always doing ankle pops, either with own body weight. Or with with the Kaiser rack, where we're using different amounts of air. Um, that is so that you, because when you're accumulating, or even if you're intensifying, um, we're using big weights, and mm-hmm. we always, so we always have this thing um, with contrast training. That we've, we've, yeah. we 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 recruited as many motor units as possible because we're moving such big weights. And then we want to realize that with this and, and keep this elasticity going and never never venture too, too far away from the elasticity. So the elasticity part is always in there uh, mm-hmm. in some way or another. Okay. So ankle pops is, 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 is a sort of a... A, a staple. It's, it's a staple of, of, of what, what we do. And anytime we do any legwork, if it's step-ups, box squats... Um, or whatever, um, there is always a, a, a moment of of um, ankle pops. And, for example, now, because they're going to compete next week, the ankle pops um, uh, that I'm doing now with them, for example, that they've, they've done their step-ups now, the 10 centimetres ones, which are super explosive, mm-hmm. just, you know, things are moving very fast. But then we've also moved with the... The ankle pops, so now we're using banded ankle pops, so mm-hmm. we're getting off the ground. Um, I'm, I'm, in other words, I'm, I'm deloading myself, so right. now I don't weigh 70 kilos, I weigh 60 or 55 kilos. So to be able to get off the ground, I've got to get, I've got to response quicker. So yeah. now I'm asking more, again, of the neural system. So everything, everything always progresses to doing things faster, 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 faster. Mm. I think that's the big takeaway again. If I get, go back and, and listen to, you know, what Charlie was saying way back in, you know, nineteen eighty-seven, eighty-eight, and, and that is that if if you're not progressing um, the velocity part of your of your strength training, it's a waste of time. Yeah, um, it, it's all about that. So we're always trying to figure out how to sort of load and unload and and sort of look at different exercises and. Um, Somebody that you, if you want to follow somebody that that uh, that's doing a lot of research in this, and he's he's got um, the EA index is, is now under review by a bunch of researchers, um, and that's uh, Professor John Cronin from New Zealand. Mm-hmm. He's a really smart guy, um, and he he does he publishes a lot of things, and um, he was he was about to publish something on on why the importance of partials, and then I did a podcast with, I can't remember who it was, and I, I sort of spilt the beans about partials, that, you know, Randy and I do partials, and we, you know, Randy yeah. and, you know, and, and John quickly messaged me, and he said, right, well, thanks for ruining my my series.
0: It
1: was supposed to be something new, and you guys get, get out there yeah. and tell everybody that you've been doing this for 10 years. Thanks. Yeah.
0: Well, the, the partial range of motion is something that I've, I, I personally enjoy it more because I feel more athletic when I do it. I'm able to, I feel like I'm able to exhibit my gifts as an athlete in those movements. Whereas when I drop below a certain point, it just becomes a total grind. Whereas when I do like the, that, you know, Kaiser ankle pop, okay, I'm bouncing off the ground pretty well. I go to a quarter squat. I can reverse that, you know, pretty rapidly compared to say a half squat, half squats much slower. I guess you got to tune out the noise a little bit and just always go back to the fact that, look, we're only on the ground this long. We're only in these positions. So if you're getting immensely strong outside of that, how well can that really transfer to to that thing you're doing? Especially like when you talk about training in the chimney, I feel like I'm at that state in my life at 31 years old where general forms of training, obviously every all strength training is general in some manner, but... The more general it is, I just feel like there's much less relevance. Whereas with, you know, the high school team that I coach or, yeah, we can do some deeper movements with them and like do the different movement variations like the hinging, the rotating, all the lunging, all those fundamental movement patterns. We can drill those in with with those kids. But once you're at a certain point where, okay, there's only so much there's only so much water left in this sponge and we got to squeeze the sponge out. Now it's I feel like it needs to be much more targeted at you know the quick reversals and just yeah you make little adjustments to go from accumulation to intensification but you're not making these huge swings from an ass to grass squat to a you know a four inch step up it's yeah
1: yeah yeah one one thing that i've been very fortunate with um um, my my wife was a former high jumper um and she puts up with all my shenanigans um (laughs) example me being an asian she's she's back in sweden is uh, it's it's not a lot of fun at my age but it you know you, you do what you you know you can you can do do this for a few years and then that's it it's like yeah. everything else everything has its time but what i was going to get to my wife is a kindergarten teacher and um um these days because of well you've now you've had covid and and so forth but also in in sweden um we live sort of Halfway up Sweden, so we, we have winter snow, mm-hmm. um, so you can't be outside as much uh, because of you know, the, the weather and everything. So, my wife was given free hands about five, probably about five years ago, about doing indoor activities, in other words, fundamental movements. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, she asked me, um, What did I think? And I said, Well, you know, what I think about long term athletic development. Um, and then she's, she said, "Okay, that's interesting." And she's listened to you know a few of my lectures and, and that sort of thing. So she started doing different types of circuits with the kids. And I've learned, I, mean, I've, I must say, I've learned a great deal from my wife because she's a she's a, a, um, a smart lady, and um, she's done a lot of things with the kids. And she she sees how they move and what they can do, what they can't do. So they they have strength circuits. Um, they have balance circuits, they have speed circuits, uh, and it's, it's, in, it's, it's incredibly interesting to watch, and she films all this, um, of course, and, and documents it all um, for her in, employer, who's the, mm-hmm. the, the state government, I think, in, in Sweden. Um, I'm surprised, I, I hope nobody's watching this, because <laughs> i probably breaking some law by, by me watching these videos these days, but... Um, it's it's amazing to watch the transformation of these kids when you see them the first time when when she starts working with them and what happens over a period of time and their movement patterns and what they and how they move and what they and, and how quickly they learn um, mm-hmm. or how quickly they they learn at a certain age so you understand then that how important movement is and and I think that the you know, love like what Professor Crone and and, and um, and Professor Howard are both saying, and especially Rick Howard, is that is that um, it's so very, very important to learn these movement patterns because what we see is that the better movers we, we build, the better athletes we get out the other end. Um, and that's one thing that we've seen, um, Randy has, has, has talked a great deal to the Chinese about, uh, and that is that they tend to specialise very early. Um they become long jumpers, triple jumpers, pole vaulters, whatever they, you know, seem to have a, a knack for. They they specialise in straight away. Um, and I've I've posted a few things with as with Rick, we've done a few things and my sort of I've got a phrase which I use for early specialization and and that is that early specialization is the equivalent of early underdevelopment. Yeah because you you stifle everything if you only give them, let's say two or three of these nine movement patterns that I think that um, are essential. Uh, And what happens is when you get athletes, I can give you an example. We had in the national team in in China, um, a a kid came to us in the sprint group, very talented, was running 1027, I think 1028. Um, And, they wanted, you know, to, for him to get to the next level. Okay, so he comes into the national team. And, of course, here yeah, we've got guys like Sue and um, we've got long jumpers. There are two, two that are jumping over 840. Um, uh, so these guys are very accomplished athletes um, and can lift and jump and, and, you know, squat and hinge and lunge and all these things. So here yep. comes this kid who's jump, who's running eight, 1027, can't lift. He can't, he can't lift, he can't jump, he can't throw, he can't land, he can't do anything, but he can run. That's <laughs> it. Now, the problem is, um, he's a guy who definitely then has, you know, he's got resources that enable him to be able to, to run 1027, because 1027 is not slow yeah. by any stretch of the imagination. But the problem we, or I had, because that, I, I was in charge of, of the strength and conditioning part Um that was, how do you load a guy that can't lift? I mean, mm-hmm. I, could him, I could give him 200 pounds on the bar, um, 90 kilos, and he'd rip it off the floor, no problem, but he, his back would be looking like this. Yeah. You know, and, you, you, you know, you could, you could put a $100 bet on that in three sessions he's going to pop up, you know, a, a disc or two. Um, <laughs> so he, he's got no idea where he is. He's got no idea of, of positions or where he's mm-hmm. going to create force and where, you know, where things are happening. Um, so you've got to then restart the the process and get him to learn how to do a, a clean, how to do a, a hand clean, and a clean from the floor is was difficult enough, and then all of a sudden he's got to do a, a hand clean, and then he's got to do a drop clean because that's the next progression. All right. Um, and what what sort of load can you use for this guy? We're, we're using forty kilos. Yeah. Now, are you getting any ad- adaptation from forty kilos? No, none whatsoever. None. Because he's got a, his physiology is, is so good that that these these weights are not doing anything for him. Um, so the problem then is you, you've got people upstairs who're saying, "Oh, we want results, yeah, but this is going to take time. We need to learn him some movement patterns, and then we can load him." Oh no 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 no! We have to get results. Um, so long story short, he was with us for a, a what a year. No. They sent him back, Sent him back to his problems that's it and then after that they, they started grinding away again and I think three months after that he was totally gone and he, and he quit
0: It's terrible
1: yeah um, so and uh, it sort of it, it, the, the problem with a lot of um, it sounds like I'm having a go at strength and condition coaches but the, the thing is to be, to be quite honest, there is no course in the world anywhere that teaches what Randy and I are doing, for example. There is no, no. course. Uh, yeah, it makes so much it, sense. Yeah, well, it does. Um, and, I mean, you've only got to look at sort of the results if you look at Randy, Rainer, uh, and the group that, that I'm working with and the athletes we're working with. I mean, we've got people here like Randy's still got the world record in the long run. Um, Rainer's got multiple Olympic gold medalists. Um, I've set national records in several different events, uh, in both in Australia and in Sweden, with my athletes. Um, 10th place at the Olympics two times uh, in, in the HEP and the decathlon with athletes. Um, but the guys that are coming out of the, the universities today, they're actually learning things that are 15, 12, 15 20 years behind what we're doing. That, that, is what, that, that, is, that is what annoys me. Not everybody, because there are people like you know, Professor Cronin, for example, who is you know, really pushing the envelope. But unfortunately, there's, there's just too much grinding going on with, with you know, this velocity-based training. And people are, are sort of not getting, they can't get their head out of that. I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, Jacob trains at a gym in, in Australia. And the guy who was the strength and conditioning coach there walked up to him and said, "You know, what are you?" Do-? He didn't know who he was. Walked up and said, "What, what are you doing, mate? This is all wrong." And, and <laughs> asked him, "Why? Why? What's wrong? Are oh, you doing box squats at 250 like a quarter squat? That's that you can't. You've got to do full range of motion." No, see, I'm a sprinter. Oh, though, any, oh, oh, yeah, one. Oh, yeah, well, he didn't quite understand that, and, and they had a discussion back and forth. And then a few days later, or whatever it was, he comes back to him and he says, you know, I've been looking at your training and really you've got to start doing some, you know, some some um, secondary um, complementary uh, exercises."
0: Like accessories and stuff.
1: Yeah. Uh, how do you mean? Well, for example, I've seen you do your squats over there and you've got lot, heaps of recovery and then you're doing some cleans over there. Uh, you should be doing a few of these exercises. Oh, uh, come on. You know, and, and Jacob said, but look, mate, I'm a sprinter. Yeah. Uh, I've, got to, I've got to exert enormous amounts of power and, and velocity over 10 seconds. Yeah. That's it. You know, I've got, no, I've got, it's just not going to help me a damn bit to do five auxiliary exercises in between or three between my 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 box squats and my cleans over here. I need to fully recover because my, my um, the system I'm working with is phosphates. And mm-hmm. it needs to be plenty because I'm going to go at it again because that's what my event. Yeah, does. that's
0: what you need. You're training for the demands of your sport.
1: Yeah, and this guy, he just no, this no no and he was, oh you've got to lift it you know 0.7 meters per second like 0.7 meters per second. <laughs> I mean, you know, Jacob said, "Look, that's not even a diesel truck. That's like that's yeah. that's like that's a diesel truck broken down. It's mm-hmm. so slow. It's ridiculous." Yeah. You know, and he said, "Well, you know, you're moving things too fast," uh, and that was quite funny because one of the things I I usually start my lectures or my presentation with a film of bleeps and bloopers to get everybody in a in a good mood uh, because you know some people have been travelling and some people yeah. had a you know, <laughs> fight with a spouse and somebody got stuck in the elevator and you know everybody's in different moods so you've got to lighten the mood so I usually start with a, a five minute section of. I've got this little film of people just doing goofy things and all sorts of mishaps happening. And then I ask the the following question. Okay, show of hands, who has got the the following problems? My athletes are too powerful and too fast. (laughs) Believe it or not, there's always a couple of people who put their hands up. (laughs) My my, my response then is, great, then I'm going to come and sit where you are, you're going to come up here and tell me how how this works because I want to learn (laughs) <laughs> and they very quickly sit down.
0: <laughs> That's funny.
1: <laughs> uh, but, you know, I don't in any sort of, I, I usually say I'm not a researcher. Yeah. Uh, I have a degree. Um, but I have a degree in behavioral science. I did all the IAAF courses. I did courses in Hungary, in Germany, in France, um, for track and field and, and strength and conditioning. Uh, and then I realized that I I think I had this, Strength and conditioning thing worked out by myself and by what I the influences I gotten all over Europe um, and with people like Charlie Francis and so forth. But then I realised that what goes on up here uh, is so important. So I did I did a degree in behavioural science, um, which I, I think was time well spent. Um, for, you know. I, I, whole load of different reasons but I mm-hmm. um, think the thing that I think that that a lot of people don't realize is that there is there, there are so many facets to, to, to high performance um, there are so many things that that need you know like there is it's it's so easy today for example to, to open up a, a gym and throw up a sign and Ohio or Sydney high performance gym right um, yeah, great. But what does actually high performance mean? Um, uh, you, you've got to sort of be frank about it and say, you know, what what is high performance, um, and and what groups are you are you referring to? Um, is it uh, CrossFit? Um, Charles Poliquin, the late Charles Poliquin, had a he had a he was he was very he didn't like CrossFit. He called it CrossFit. <laughs> <laughs> Charles was i I've met him a, a bunch of times. He worked with a Leco in Sweden, who were the bar manufacturers uh, with yep. their education. So I've, I've run into him many times in Sweden. And um, Charles was a, a very, very sort of in your face sort of guy. He, did, you know, he didn't didn't take no for an answer. Um, and he's also a very interesting guy, and a very knowledgeable guy. Um, and he was. It was part of the Canadian sort of strength and conditioning mob that was behind Charlie Francis. Um, and definitely, it was, uh, I think he both learned and learnt Charlie a thing or two. Uh, and I think that was sort of a, where they sort of grind things and got it to where they had this system where they produced the sprinters they did, um, despite what happened with Ben and everything. Because you, you can. You, you can only do so much, but I mean, if, if, you, if, you've, got a, if you've got pharmacology, I mean, well, then why, why haven't the Russians produced 980 sprinters, you know, like on a, on a conveyor right. belt? Because you still need science to run that fast. You can't just go out there and just lift the crap out of things in the gym uh, with pharmacology and, and do two meter drop jumps and think you're going to run 980. Right? Yeah. Because if it's the case, the Russians would have produced a whole bunch of guys running super fast, but they never did. Yeah. They never, never got anybody running. Was is still the, the national record holder, and he did, not, he did that at the Olympics in 1972. And, and, and that whole sort of Soviet, you know, when it comes to events which are predominantly sort of higher up in the, in the ground contact uh, and the force-producing um, scale, the Russians dominate. I mean, they are very, very good at, at, at weightlifting. They're very good at hammer throwing, discus throwing, shot put, um, those events. But as soon as you get to these really, really fast things, then they get stuck. Mm-hmm. And they have never been able to sort of get down there because they're they're in that, I mean, I mean, Bondachuk has a lot of very, very good principles and he, he's very, very knowledgeable. Um, but, it, but he's it, a throws coach. Yeah, exactly. It's 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 in that sort of two hundred 250 millisecond frame, and they uh, they're very very good at doing that. Extremely good at doing that. But that is not sprinting. It yeah. is not sprinting, and that is, and that's at the at the end of the day, um, speed. You know, speed is the, the deciding factor, or rather, acceleration is the. I've done a lot of work if you've listened to my podcast I've, I did a lot of work and have done a lot of work in strength and conditioning in pro hockey in Sweden mm-hmm. uh, and that in, in pro hockey in Sweden was it, when I started working in hockey um, and we did, I did testing with the guys um, we could very clearly see that they were very strong but for example if we looked at a, at a squat jump and, um, and a CMG they actually jumped less in the CMG than they did in the squat jump. In mm-hmm. other words, they had no, they had no elasticity, they, they couldn't utilize that elasticity at all. So they would jump 55 centimeters in a squat jump and they jumped 55 or 53 in a CMG. Mm-hmm. Um, and the difference should be at least in my, in my vocabulary, should be at least 10 centimeters difference. So if you jump 55 in a squat jump, then you should jump 65 in a CMG. Yeah. Otherwise, you simply can't use your elasticity. So they were very, very strong, but they couldn't. They, they couldn't. Um, they couldn't realize it. Um, and in hockey, because it's a, it's a small rink, uh, it's all about. It, it's got nothing to do with with top end speed. Because when are you going to use top end speed in hockey? I mean, it's, yeah,
0: just slow uh, pushing.
1: Yeah. Basically. So what you've got to be able to do is to take three, four, you know, skates and yeah. diagonal because you're pushing. You're pushing virtually completely lateral at about right. at least 45 degrees. So Bang, 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 bang. That's it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, get the puck and away you go. Yeah. Um, so the team that I've worked with and the strength and conditioning coach for the team up north that, that just have sort of obliterated the, system, the whole system, they've just, for years and years now, since 2012, they've virtually been three quarters of the finals virtually. Um, and they've just forced the whole league in Sweden to, 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 you know, to, to come to the party and start un- understanding that strength and conditioning is not grinding, it's something else. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got, they've just, they're just doing things in a different way. And today you can see that, to give you an idea, these guys, when they started, they were doing 15, 18 watts per kilo body weight. That, that was it. So they were, there was wow. no power, but they were strong. Yeah. And now that the players, most of the players are up, sort of up in the high 20s and you, you get probably four or five these days are in the sort of 30, 32 range. Um, and that's about it. Now, to give you an idea, um, the, the guys that we had in China, Sue and a couple of the long jumpers, they were pushing 55, 58 watts per kilo body weight. Wow,
0: yeah, and doing it very rapidly, not oh, yeah. not yeah. over some long, gigantic, slow range of motion.
1: So you've got you've got guys. Um, like one of the long jumpers who well, he was the guy who won the the, the, the last World Championships, and he, he's he's the national record holder, eight forty seven, um, which is what twenty eight feet, that. Mm-hmm. Like. Yeah. Um, I mean he does he does twenty centimeter step up with. 190 kilos
2: weighing
1: 70. Yeah. So you're getting close to triple body weight. I mean, these guys are moving, for example, 110 kilos um, clean. They're moving at about 2.7 meters per second.
0: Yeah, that's moving.
1: Yeah. And these guys, I mean, 110 kilos, that's one and a half times their body weight. Yeah. It's 1.6, I think. And they're moving that at, at 2.7 meters per second. Now, why would we want to be moving that sort of at, at a slow speed? Makes no sense. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's all about moving things faster and faster. And, and as I said, we, we really don't know how strong these guys are because we never, we never really test them. Um, we do sometimes, we do some isometric mid thigh pull sort of thing. Um, I saw that I did one here a while ago because the biomech Lab he was bugging me. Oh, we need to do some tests. <laughs> said, well, let's do a mid-thigh pull. So yep. I've got the high jump guy. Now, he weighs 67 kilos, um, and he's doing virtually the same as my long jumper. who weighs 71 kilos. Uh, they're sort of in the 120, 130 kilo range for a single leg step up. Uh, he did a mid-thigh pull at 435 kilos.
0: Wow. That's some weight. <laughs> That's some force.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, people just—and this is—and this is a guy who's who's only jumping, you know, just just about to clear seven foot three, two twenty. Yeah. You can imagine what these guys who are jumping two forty are, are producing. Mm-hmm. I mean, twenty centimeters more, nearly a foot, you know, or well, eight inches higher heights means that they're producing even more force and faster.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Otherwise, they couldn't jump that high. So this is the this is the problem when when a lot of the, the new coming out of the out of the universities um, these strength and conditioning coaches and I you know I, I don't I don't it sounds sometimes that I you know I don't like strength and conditioning coaches and you know they all you know they don't know what they're talking about. But they've got to realise that, yeah, sure, they've got a master's degree and some of them have got PhDs. But unless until you've been in the trenches for a bunch of years and you've produced athletes that are producing big results you've only got a phd on paper because you do not have a phd in the real world because you've yet to prove that your theories because you've got to put together a, a whole program you're not just doing something isolated inside a lab yeah. doing your phd now you've got to do a whole year program over maybe two or three or an olympic cycle and these athletes are going to get better and better and better and better and better Mm-hmm. And now you're 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 in charge of not only strength and conditioning, but also the, the track work, the recovery, the nutrition, and everything else. Good luck with that. Yeah. You only learn that by being in the trenches, and and that's that's the bottom line. Um, so when these guys come out and you know and they say, "Oh, you've got to do this, you've got to do that," and I no, sorry, <laughs> you're, wrong. Well, you're
0: wrong. Well, and all the research lags behind. The practical application so what you guys are doing now you know yeah maybe 20 years from now that can be something that people are learning in their courses or whatever but what they're being taught is from back here and then that puts them in a box to where like you said about the engineers earlier you know then their their perspective is is limited by what they've been taught or what they had access to and you know it's not their fault but if if you treat that as dogma, then that's going to be very limiting because then you're going to be doing your to grass squats and you're going to be going out and you're not going to be able to run very fast because it's simply you're not preparing the athlete for the demands of their event.
2: Yes, if someone's
0: developmental, it's very easy to take someone from a fourteen second hundred to a thirteen. You know, great, good job. But how do you go from ten five to ten zero? How do you go from ten two to nine eight you know yeah that's where the 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 rubber hits the road and the real kind of cutting edge stuff gets gets developed uh, yeah. which is what you guys have been putting out
1: yeah I mean I, I you probably heard this I think I've mentioned it in one of the other podcasts that I I try to look at my my exercises I write I, I, I rate them from one to ten in other words a, a ten that is that is you know that's that is like the Ferrari of exercising. Uh-huh. In our world, it's, it's all about velocity and, and so forth and, and power production and, and TPV times. Um, when, when am I going to use that, for example? Um, Jacob at the moment, he's probably only at the three to four. Maybe there's a few fives there. That's it. So that means that we've got that whole spectrum over here that we can still improve from year to year. So there is a progression that we can go to next year, next year and next year, and hopefully we're going to run faster and faster. Um, that is, that's the theory, at least, and it, up, up until now, it's definitely working. Um, yeah. And that's the same philosophy that Randy worked with, with Sue. It's a matter of just upping it up every year. And the big, one of the big problems that we see happens is that because of mass media today or what do you call it, um, social media and everything, uh, it's so easy to, to see, you know, oh, wow, look at this, the coaches are doing that. So what, what we see is that there, a lot of people are doing things, what I call one, two, three exercises, and they do those quite well. And then they do nothing, four, five, six, seven, and then all of a sudden they're doing exercises eight, nine. Now, what happened to that? I mean, you've just cut out the whole sort of virtually the meat on the bone. You've, you've just thrown that out. And you've gone straight at that at the sort of like the Formula One,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and nobody goes from you know goes directly from you know sitting in in one of these box cars that you don't do on your street to Formula One. You know you, <laughs> you usually go through go kart and then it's like some other yeah. in between there, and then you get to Formula One. But you yeah. know nobody goes from a box car to a Formula One car. But in strength and conditioning, that is usually what happens. Um, mm-hmm. there's a sort of thinking that, you know, well, let's do this and then we'll go straight to that. No. Um, stay, as long as you stay, and if, if the athletes are are improving at, at that range, like let's say the four, five, six range of exercises in the progression table, and if, they, if they're still making increases in, in results, yeah, why would you want to move out of that zone? Leave that yeah. zone alone. Stay there. But when that starts to slow down, um, then, then you can sort of move the... But then at, at the same time, even within this space, there's so much you can do as far as move, moving things around. For example, density of training. You can, you can shock the system by all of a sudden what, for example, Jacob was lifting in 40 minutes. He's going to lift in 25 minutes. Now all of a sudden we've changed so much yeah um, how is this system going to react to that if we do that for like two weeks and then we as in accumulation we've just we've, we've increased the the density mm-hmm. what happens then into the intensification well, if you don't do it you won't know um and and, and if you don't measure it you won't you won't know it much at all anyway because there are so there's so much happening at at sort of the that that fine and, and in uh, invisible physiological plane. That unless you are measuring these things, you were, you know you're just you're guessing. Mm-hmm. And I'm a terrible. Uh, my wife says that you're a terrible guesser. So it, it's just as well you use all those systems.
0: <laughs> so I but, guess one thing to kind of bring it full circle is you know we're. About nine weeks out from indoor here in the u.s and then outdoor obviously goes until till july is there anything you would be focusing on in the gym right now that sticks out to you at this distance obviously it would have to fit into a proper progression of what has been done before and where you're trying to go with it but just to get a general idea of if you were thrown an athlete and you had already progressed up to this point what would what would maybe your difference in the training be exercise selection wise now versus you know nine weeks from now leading into indoor would it be the high box squats now progressing toward a medium step up and then a very low step up or a quarter squat without a box or you know you do like to use the boxes because you get a little bit quicker tpv off of it with those soft boxes right
1: exactly um I learned a I learned a lesson with which is interesting again why that happened it, it, the mechanisms behind it is is it that that he's not a full time athlete um, for example last was it last year or the first the end of the first year I was coaching um, Jacob we went from quarter squats to step ups and he he just lost his way he just said I, I just don't feel anything mm. um, so. The problem was there that going back to this exercise selection, 1 to 10, so all of a sudden yeah. doing things at sort of 3, 4 range, and then I was, I was intensifying with a, 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 like a 7, and, yeah. there was, and here's this, that word again, gaposis. Right. So it, it didn't work, so mm-hmm. it was just, okay, like boom, handbrake, go back. So This last year when, he, when he's been running these sub 10, 20 times now. Um, the difference has been that we've stayed with very, very heavy weights um, considerably. I mean, we're still sort of doing single leg step-ups uh, or box squats, but we're doing uh, a larger range of motion. Not he, for example, he's not doing any 10 centimetres. That's going <clears> to <throat> be the next phase because if you look at where, how much, how much um, flexion you've got in, in the knee and in the hip um, on a 10 centimetre step-down, um and compare that to when he hits the ground at, at support phase, they're very very close to each other. There's yeah. not much in it at all. So that's that's where we want to go. Mm-hmm. But he's still not ready for that. So we're we're sort of at the moment with Jacob, we're still sort of lifting fairly heavy weights. But what we've done with the box squats, we've just moved it up. So mm-hmm. he, I think he did a double at two fifty a while ago. So mm-hmm. that's not too bad. But yeah. there, are, there are guys who are stronger than that, Um, he needs to get stronger, but he needs to get faster um, Mm -hmm. using that. So what we've done is we've dropped the load a little bit, so he's probably doing, he's doing, for example, um, a two at 90, uh, a three at 80, uh, and a four at 70% of uh, sort of what we would call uh, a one max.
0: Like an estimated max, Yeah.
1: yeah. So so the, the TPV is – and this is the other thing. With Jacob, there's no muscle lab system in Australia. I've never yeah. measured him, um, which is also crazy that we've been able to dial in this. So I, I, I'd have to say that I've, I've done a pretty good job of, of sort of visually looking at tonnes and tonnes of videos of him at, at normal speed and being able to ascertain and using some technology that it, that's available today in measuring times – um even though from films um, what what's it called jump coach I think it's called my, my yeah, jump the my,
0: my jump app.
1: Yeah so you can there's a couple of those apps around that you can measure. so I've been able to measure a few things that that sort of that I've been able to look at other people that are doing comparable sort of times and then if I look at what they're doing TPV, I'm sort of in I'm, I'm probably in the ballpark. Um, gotcha. So I, I, I think I've got it pretty well right. But, but again, until I get to Australia now um, and actually meet Jacob for the first time face-to-face, <laughs> my son lives in, in, in London. and He was in London for the Commonwealth Games, and he lived with my son because hmm. he was over there competing before. So my son uh, has met him and, and lived with him for three weeks. Um, <laughs> but I've been coaching him for two years, and I've never, I've never seen the man. Um, so it's going to be interesting because I'll, you know, as soon as I get, get down to Australia um, and and Jacob comes up to us, uh, then you know I'll throw the muscle lab system at him and then we'll see what what's going on.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I'll get some real figures um, that that will definitely point point me in the right direction. I mean we're going in the right direction now. We can see that because he's gone from 10, 10, being a ten fifty sprinter to a to a sub ten twenty sprinter. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're definitely doing the right things. Um, I think we just need to sort of have a bigger understanding of what we're doing. And in his case, it still means that he's, he seems to enjoy or his system needs, at the moment, needs um, fairly decent loading um, mm-hmm. and sort of quarter squats. He He, he's, he thrives on quarter squats, fast yeah. quarter squats something that he thrives on um so then is he quite dominant is he a puller is he a pusher yeah it's a good question um
0: sometimes uh, i think those questions are a little overly esoteric i there's a lot of i find that there's a lot of discussion going you know that people have or they talk about or people ask me questions and i'm just like I don't know, man. I mean, yeah, it's nice, it it's a nice idea to categorize people into these little boxes and stuff. And there there was a gym that reached out to me and we had a little little video call like this to talk about, you know, categorizing athletes and I was like, "Well, you know, you just got to look at the guy and see, you know, what is he lacking? What is it what is what's what are they going to benefit from or what is she going to benefit from?" And instead of trying to have some, you know, all these all these labels that you can throw on them to then categorize into the perfect, you know, quadrant system or whatever. It's just, I don't know. It it just goes back to the idea that we need to move pretty heavy weights as fast as we can. We need to progress toward moving faster over time. And if we do that and we stay healthy, we're probably going to have our best shot at, at performing well. Um, You know, as long as we get the little, little details in order. Um, Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, yeah, I fully agree. Um, This, as you say, the the whole notion of being, you know, quad dominant, hamstring um, dominant—you definitely can see some guys. For example, one of the long jumpers that we had in China. I mean, there's no doubt he's so hamstring dominant; Mm -hmm. um, it's crazy. Um, And so, he he virtually looks like he's sitting when he's running, but he he can (laughs) run two seventy-seven for a flying thirty, which is that's moving, and he's longer. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, you know, he can't run 10-10 for 100. No. You could probably run a, a 10-40. Yeah. Maybe, somewhere around there, but he but he's over 30 metres. That's that's his run-up. Um, yeah. And he, he pulls. There's no doubt that he pulls. Now, is, is that conducive to what you're doing in 100? Can you pull for a complete 100? I'd say no, you can't. Mm-hmm. If once you're up at max velocity you are push. you are push, it's vertical
2: yeah, yeah completely um,
1: so yeah I, I you know i I'm not going to say that I'm any biomechanic expert but uh, any sense of imagination I'm, I'm I'm a very practical person um, mm-hmm. and you know that whole debate I just I really can't get my head around it I yeah you're pushing at the start. You're pushing out to about 25, 30 metres, and then you you gradually get up, and then it's all vertical. Mm-hmm. Now, it, it, and the way you, you swing your leg through um, and it, the way it strikes the ground, the, the whole idea of, of that swing, what it does is, and, and this is the secret of, for example, a lot of people think that uh, Usain Bolt is, is the ultimate technician. He's not. Mm-hmm. He's, actually, he's... Pretty ordinary, if you think. One yeah. Bolt that lives on. He's he's got great elasticity, um, but because he's so tall, he's able to his his swing, and that the, the length of the movement of his foot is longer. Like it's going back to the squat. Full squat, you can reach higher velocity because you've right. got a longer range of motion. So the fact that he's so tall means that his foot is coming down and hitting the track at such a high velocity. So he's whipping that foot into the ground. Yep. And it might look like he's pulling, but he's he's pushing yep. down. The fact exactly. That he's just got such a big lever, yep. which means if you've, got, if you've got a guy like Sue, there is no pull on Sue. It's all straight down because he's he's got legs about that long. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's why he's able to generate such enormous uh, cadence and, and power over the 60 metres that he does. Um, and, and that is, you know, one of the things that Randy's worked so hard with him and that was his, his weakness was to open up his stride the last 30 metres because you can even see in Tokyo, he is, he is struggling that, that last yeah. 20, 30 metres. He is busting his balls trying to just get, <laughs> keep that stride open, you know, um, because that's his weakness. But that's because of the, he's only 172 tall. Right. You know, you can't do too much with your you know, with your stride if you're one seventy-two. Mm-hmm. You know, but if you're one ninety-six, oh, you know. Yeah. But if you want to look at a, a technician, then look at it. Uh, look at Asafa Powell when he was at running at his peak. Yeah. Now you're talking. That's that's poetry emotions. So a lot of times one of the things that we do wrong um is that we tend to look at the guys and the girls who are doing the big performances. Are they the best technicians? Necessarily not because they, you know, there are, for example, in the high jump, there are a lot of girls who are like six foot three, six foot four, and they're jumping, you know, two meters, two meters three. Yeah. But there are girls who are 175 tall who are jumping just as high. And that means that biomechanically, they've got to do things a whole different way. And their technique is much, much, much better. So, the same thing with with sprinting. You know, what is a good sprinter? What is good sprint form? Uh, it's all. Oh, it, it's it's so individual. It, you mm-hmm. know, whatever you've got in your toolbox is what you've got to work with. Um, so yeah, um, and I think also sprinters, and all the athletes, they they evolve. Of course you do, um, and that's one yeah. of the things that you, you learned that whatever worked like three years ago, <laughs>
0: it doesn't work now.
1: It doesn't work the same way now because no. they've got all that density of training, all that, you know, that backlog of work, it, mm-hmm. it's moved them way, way forward. So you've got to you've got to change your approach. And if you don't, you're not gonna you're not gonna peak them. That's, that's yeah. the um and I think that was also one of the things that Charlie learned me because we were sort of very, very sort of in the box when it came to our GP periods. It was like We've got four or six weeks of GP. End of story. And then we do another one after the indoor season. So we'd had two GP periods a year. So we'd be spending about twelve weeks a year doing GP. Hmm. And I asked Charlie, like, you know, how does what does Ben's GP look like, or, or the other Angela, um, the, the the women's sprinters that he had. Yeah. And he said two weeks. <laughs> what? Two weeks. What do you mean? Well, I mean hell. You know, we use GP when they when they've had their break at the end of the year, they come back and then they do two weeks of of, of circuit work and to get things yeah. you know, fluid moving. Yeah, around. grease
0: the joints and everything.
1: Grease yeah. the joint, and then then we hit it. Then we go straight into a max max strength phase. And I said, what, what, but why? He said, <laughs> well, see, we do that. The GP four, six weeks when they're sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, yeah. but they get to twenty that's shrunk down to about three weeks. And when they're in the elite trainings, that's two weeks. That's mm-hmm. it. Yeah. So, again, this whole notion that, you've, you know, you've got to grind away and you've got to do this, you've got to do that. And, um, you know, I mean, some people ask me, but you don't use very many exercises. Nope. Uh, we, we do a bunch of stuff in the GP. We, in the GP, we do a whole bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of crazy stuff um but it's just like we grease the joints we we balance our things if we see that the adductors are have been maybe a bit of a issue throughout the season we'll mm-hmm. do more copenhagens bent leg, straight leg copenhagens eccentric copenhagens we might do more soleus work we'll do push pull circuits in the kaiser equipment just to balance things out and then bang we hit it mm-hmm. um and at the end of the season, well, throughout the season, we'll see where things were. Yes, no, yes, and then okay. Then we've got to look at those things next season. But this this notion that you know you sort of fix things the whole season and you go back and you do your you GP your way out of out of you know whatever. No, I don't do that. I mean, we do our GP, and then it's exam time for me and for my athletes, and then we, we run with what we've got. And then we learn from this season and we go back and then we'll fix things in the GP and then we'll attack it next season. Um, that's the approach that I've got. And instead of sort of trying to have this notion that you fix everything the whole the whole way, you, you make changes. Of course you do. But you, you can't sort of think that you all of a sudden, if you see halfway through the season, that your athlete is is lacking max strength. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't think in mid... Comp season is a good a <laughs> yeah. six week block of max spent training, if, you're gonna, if you're on the circuit you're yeah whatever you've yeah. got you're going to have to sort of try to you know bring to, bring to the top and, and that's it yeah. you, can, you can detrain somebody by doing a very sort of quick seven ten day sort of accumulation block that will sort of just take the top out of it a little bit and then do and then Bring it back again to mm-hmm. peak and to keep a long peak. That that we do throughout the season. We do that the whole the whole way through. yeah,
0: just up. little little cha- little changes.
1: Okay. Yeah, but pull back a little,
0: to, but that's it. Yeah.
1: But here in Asia, for example, it's very common that at the middle of the season they'll just jump in um, head first into the pool with with a, a hundred kilo weight jacket <laughs> on and just do a bunch of training. And, and you and they just totally destroy everything that where they were, and they just go forth down here. And then it takes them the whole rest of the season to get back where they were. Yeah. And, and you stand there and you ask yourself, why did you do this? And and they don't have a, they don't have a, They don't have an answer. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the be- one of the better better answers here, which usually. Well, I don't run out of the room screaming anymore because I've heard it so many times that it, it's, it's it's our tradition.
0: Ah, uh, yes, <laughs> great. <laughs> what yeah, does that yeah. mean? <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. I'm still to, I think if you ask Randy after nine years in Asia, um, I think you know he he usually. I think he posted something on. I don't know. Was it LinkedIn? I think he posted something that he he was saying that. You know, he's met a lot of coaches and he hopes he's made a difference. And sometimes I know I have, and sometimes I know I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think that's being very philo- philosophical about the whole thing that, you know, some people just simply won't listen. They, they they they're sort of, they, they're, they're, they quite enjoy their box. And uh, they're quite, and, and that is, again, that's one thing that you learn when you do, you do behavioral science is that the, the, the biggest fear most people have is, is change.
2: Yeah,
1: You know, we, we want to, everybody wants to feel secure. So, you know, I think that people like myself and Randy and, and you know, you as well, you know, the, we, we're the ones that sort of get out of the box. We, we are, I think we're sort of what would nearly be called certifiable because yeah. <laughs> we, we take risks. We, we're not sort of happy about being in the box. We, we yeah. want to see what's outside the box yep. where there is sort of, um i've got a very famous quote um that i i posted to i, I help a couple of guys in Slovenia who are, they they work only with alpine skiing and, and mm-hmm. they they've listened to my podcast and, and figured that this is what the alpine skiers need because i mean they're roaring down a mountain at 150 kilometers an hour
0: that's crazy
1: but grinding is not going to solve the problem No. So they and they've realized that. And so it's, we're, I'm having a great time and I'm learning lots of things from them as well, what they're doing. But there's. I, I posted a quote to them that um, when you follow the masses, you've got to be careful for sometimes the, the, the M is silent.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: You're following the asses. Yeah,
0: uh, right off a cliff.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and I think that's sort of one of those things that I've sort of tried to, um, I've always sort of, Gone and listen to people and it was th- very difficult for a while because when when Charlie and and the boys got busted um, that all of a sudden he was sort of like for sure non grata i mean he yeah. was a chick, uh, and you know he was the, the most biggest piece of shit on the on the planet right which was all the, so, all the
0: judgment came out against him
1: exactly it was so i mean it was if you look at what what Charlie did and what he stood for, and his training philosophy. I mean, it is, he was so far ahead of everybody else, it's ridiculous in his thinking. And, and just to say, okay, it was all drugs, throw it all away, you can't use it, it's just crazy. And the problem was that where I was or still live, um, if you mentioned um, the name, Charlie Francis in, in any of your presentation, you, virtually the, the the national federation would would issue with a warning. Yeah, it's it crazy. Was, yeah, you you couldn't say anything. You could not mention Canada. You could not mention Charlie Francis, Ben Johnson. Um, all of this was all taboo because it wow. was all doping, uh, and. It's the same with, you know, there's a, there's a few of us in, in, in Sweden and in Europe that we've been trying to unearth what the East Germans were doing. I mean, there's no denying that the East Germans were doing a lot of things that, you know, are very questionable. But mm-hmm. you've got to also realise they poured in an, an immense amount of money into sports research, and they were so far ahead of everybody else uh, in a lot of areas, it's, it's crazy. And all of that knowledge was was destroyed. It, it's just it was just lost. And, and shame. that is yeah, it's a great shame because there are there are lots of things and there I've because I've been living in Europe for many years. I was I was very lucky, and because of my age, there were there were things going around from Leipzig um, as presentations and so forth, and I've got a, a bunch of them. Um, and some of these things are from, you know, the late sixties, early seventies, and they still make very, very, very good sense. I mean, there are, there are some big, big things there, um, which you can very, very quickly, you know, sort of point in the direction of the Charlie Francis way of thinking mm-hmm. or, or Huntington sort of that. It's, it, you can see that these guys, if you're looking at a, at a, at a continuum, these guys, they're, they're further along that line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you, Definitely see that there is a heritage there, and these guys they they were on that pipeline, yeah. Um, and they and they the, the difference is that you know there is there are no drugs involved anymore.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and that I mean that's that that is the big thing with what we're trying to do is that we you know to understand more about human physiology and the training process. Um, gives us the opportunity to be able to train people and reach these levels without using chemicals
0: Mm -hmm. yeah because it's a it's one thing if you can just you know your recovery abilities are far and above that can um that can really cloud how good your program is and how well you're you know putting things together whereas when all you're operating on is you know chicken rice and protein powder you better be damn sure that the That the sequencing of the training, the volumes that you're using, the density you're using, whether you're hitting back to back, you know, hitting a certain area of the body too much, all those things are much more important. And that's where, you know, great coaches like yourself and Randy, I think, are doing some fantastic work, not only with your athletes, but also putting the information out there so that the rest of us can, you know, Try and benefit, and try to lean into a, a slightly more effective or significantly more effective way of doing things. Um, and you know, maybe maybe eventually we can get to a point where people are putting out good numbers, and people don't immediately go, "Oh, yeah, he's he's taking some stuff" or, or whatever, because the methods are good enough to to actually morph the human body into being able to achieve something that is you know pretty respectable. So.
1: I mean, it's, it's it's amazing what the human body can do if it's if it's given the right um, um, psychological, physiological, and nutritional um, platforms. Um, yep. And I think that's one of the the, the what I, I've got a young fellow that I've, uh, I've done a bit of work with uh, who's doing a PhD in brain plasticity. That what that is just that is going to be the I think the big new thing uh, mm-hmm. that's going to lot of the way we think about things um, because we've we, we've only scratched the surface on that area nutrition yep. is the other part I think that we've um, I've, I've just had a, an issue with one of my girls here who again one of the high jumpers there they have this what my wife but she was a high jumper she calls the skinny bitch syndrome <laughs> has, which is quite funny because she met the girls last year when they were when we were in oil uh, well, this year when we were in Portugal uh, she came down and and she sort of commented to me, you know, I was a high jumper and I was always chasing my weight and always, you know, never ate anything. You can't do it. It's, yeah. I've, I've got a, one of the girls now, we just said, living on, she, she lives on chicken and broccoli. Yeah. So, you know, her training is going like this because her mm-hmm. instinct is going like that. So it's it's sort of like a, a lottery. Uh, if she comes to the gym one day and she's feeling good, she, she does great. If she comes, and he's not feeling great. Oh, it's like, you know, you wouldn't believe that what it looks like. And, and you know, you, so you, you're trying to tell it look, you've got to eat carbohydrates because they, hmm. they've been told by, you know, experts that you can right. cut out carbs. So you've got an athlete who's a full time athlete who's not eating carbs. Great. Yeah. So what are you advantaging?
0: Yeah. I'm fasting. Oh, yeah, right. That's going to that's gonna do it.
1: Yeah, exactly. I've
0: tried yeah. it. It doesn't work. <laughs>
1: I sort of asked her, you know, it's okay. I'll give you a little little thing to do here for the, for the next training session. Have a look at your what you're eating at the moment, your nutrition plan, and tell me how many how many grams of protein, how many grams of fat, and how many grams of, of carbs are you getting. And I asked her, what is your base metabolism require just to stay alive? Um, it took quite a while to understand what that meant. And she came back and said, oh, I think it's around... Um well, 1300 calories. Yeah, it's about right, about, about 14, 1500. And I said, Okay, so what do you think you're going to operate at, at like your level? Oh, you know, well, I want to lose weight. So 16, 1700. And I said, Try 2,700. Mm-hmm. Um, and she just looked at me and, and thought, you know, and I could see that she was just seeing all these kilos just sort of flooding back on her, you know, and virtually jumping on her ass. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, Look, that's the biggest mistake uh, women make is that, you know, and I hate the word diet. It's, it's a nutrition yeah. plan. Diet is just, oh, it's a nutrition plan. And, the, and usually what happens is once they start eating carbs and they, they have a new workout, what their system is, is actually like because it, it differs a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they're getting about 50% out of carbs and about 20 30 30% out of protein and about 20% out of fat, then they're going to start losing
0: weight. Mhm. Yeah, then their metabolism comes online and yeah. you know, I realized that? that I was under eating and it's it's hard to sometimes to eat enough protein or you know, it's just like it's hard to train or whatever. Like a lot of the things in life that are good for you are not easy. But no. once you get through that point, then all of a sudden, oh wow, I'm not as sore. I, this chronic injury I had isn't really bothering me because now I have enough nutrients to rebuild my body after my training session or i'm not going into my training session half awake because i'm actually eating enough and i get enough vitamins and it seems so basic but um, the basic fundamental things have the largest impact on our ability to train and perform and recover and all that
1: well it's the same thing there i when i was Sort of getting into coaching because of my injuries, and I realised that you know it's not, I I enjoy coaching. I needed to understand more about nutrition, and I thought, uh, so what do I do? Do I go and get a degree in nutrition? <laughs> and I thought, well, and I sort of looked at it actually, but I I, I didn't feel that I was going to get I wasn't going to get the answer because that, that yeah. was in the box.
0: Right, once again. But,
1: yeah, so I thought, well, okay, so where do I go to get nutrition information? As it happened, around the corner from where I was living in Sweden was a world-class bodybuilder who competed at Mr. Olympia in the 80s. <laughs> and he was a former, jab, he was a former 260-foot javelin thrower. Wow. So I went to him and I said, Oof, can you, can you tell me about how do you, you know, how do you weigh 105 kilos at 179 and cut to the bone? And, and, you know, and be able to train and do what you do. And, you know, over several, well, I've bugged him for, for years, but, you know, um, that's, what, that's where I learned about nutrition. It, mm-hmm. is the guys who were doing this um, were, they, they, I mean, they, they say straight away, uh, 80% of their sport is nutrition. Mm-hmm. 20% is training. Yeah. And again, unfortunately, because of the the amount of of drug use in bodybuilding, if if you said at a conference in Sweden back in the 80s and early 90s that you know you were you know I've done I've talked to the bodybuilders about how to do this and how to do that, then all of a sudden you again you were stamped (laughs) as being somebody who used drugs. So it's been a minefield in Europe because there's been all these stupid things about you know clean sport and you know equality. Sport, it's all gone f- totally haywire. I mean, they've they've lost their perspective. They really have. Yeah. Um, instead of you know, they're. they're I think the, the way they should be thinking is if you if you listen to these people and and listen to their views and and then you can sort sort out and understand with 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 um, with facts.
2: Mm-hmm
1: okay, are they using drugs? Are they not using drugs? Or is, is all their information about nutrition a totally waste, waste of time because they're, only, they're on drugs anyway, so it, it makes no difference. Right. Um, but if that was the case, they could all be sitting eating Cheerios and Oreo cookies, and they'd all yeah. be cut in 4% body weight. Mm-hmm. No.
0: Yeah, it, just doesn't, it doesn't work that way.
1: No, it doesn't work that way. So, you know... Um, that's that's usually the, the you know the the way I've sort of done that. I I try to go to people who are who show time and time again that they know what they're doing in that specific area. I'll go and ask them. Yep. Um, okay, why? How are you getting these results? And I I think one of the things that is one word I like is cross pollination, and that is that don't just look at your own sport because there are other sports. Like I said. The guys in alpine skiing—they're doing some very interesting things because they've got certain parts of of their event is is very very different. I mean, you—for example—you you'll do a a downhill. You could be doing 140 kilometres an hour on skis, and you do a 40 metre jump, and you're landing. There's some massive forces happening,
0: and, and some massive balls to do that. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean,
1: yeah. Uh, then then you've got maybe a left-hand sweeper at doing 130 kilometers where you've got so much force on that outer ski. So you're pushing eccentrically at about three, four seconds doing 130 kilometers. So now all of a sudden what I'm working with 110, 20, 30 milliseconds, becomes totally irrelevant in that in that in that part of the race, because now all of a sudden they're pushing for for 3 4 seconds in other words 3000 4000 milliseconds
2: yeah
1: and then all of a sudden they do a jump and they've got to be able to withstand a force for 200 milliseconds with five times their body weight or whatever because they've just done a you know a massive big jump at a, at a very high speed so they're being subjected to virtually this throughout the whole race and then they you know the lactate bit they're doing a, a close to a 2 minute run down a hill um, and they 've got lactic acid running out of their ears, so yeah. how do you prepare athletes for that, um, that that's a that's a tricky one
2: mm-hmm. um,
1: so listening to what they 're doing now uh, the fact that they're interested in what what you know we're doing is interesting and, and hearing what how they build force and you can see that these guys are incredibly good at producing force but then when you watch them doing some videos of them doing some plyometrics it's like wow they're, they're, there's a few things lacking here <laughs> yeah. my perspective but yeah. and and they're, they're interested in because they've seen now that if they get better at doing what we do mm-hmm. they'll actually get better at what they do because they're going to raise it the bar mm-hmm. in other words if they build an over in the speed uh, and eccentric rate of force development. That means that they can operate at a lower level because they've got a higher level to 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 to, to come from.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: At the moment, they're pushing the boundaries because they, they just don't have enough elasticity and, and rate of force development. Uh, so when they're when they're coming down the hill, they're operating at at that that the at the, at the breaking point of that of their capacities in those specific areas. Yeah. But now they're, they're realizing if we can raise that bar, then racing at, it's, it's going to be at, at 80% rather than 97%. It's
0: like strength reserve or speed reserve. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Um, and it's, it's very interesting, and, and it's, it's extremely gratifying for me to sort of to, to learn things because now I'm, I'm looking at things from a completely different time perspective than what I'm used to Um, and it shifts, like I said, so dramatically within their race. Um, And it makes me think, and I'm thinking, "Mm, you know, maybe there's something we can use here in certain Mm. parts, maybe the GP or, you know, there's always something. Totally. Sometimes, you know, these things, you learn something, you go to a conference and you you meet a Randy or something like that. Um, A lot of people say, well, I can't use that. (laughs) Yeah, maybe, but... You put that information in. That's how I how I operate. I I was the same at university. Um, I I sort of stuff a lot of stuff in, and then I just let it go. Just mm-hmm. just let my books go, um, and I, I let everything sort of just sort itself out. And then when it came time to doing an exam or, or writing a paper, it sort of just flowed because I let yeah. it sort. Of, I wasn't trying to just keep filling it up, you know, like you know, making sausages just. <laughs> it, it, that, that didn't work for me. I, so I learned very quickly how how I studied m- most efficiently. And mm-hmm. I, I think that that's probably the best one of the best ways of, of describing when you go to conferences and stuff like that. A lot of the information is where the hell am I going to put this? Yeah, just, just stick it in there and let it sort itself out. Yeah. If you let it sort itself out and start instead of being... You know, getting all stressed about it and thinking, "Oh shoot, what right. am I going to be?" Fifteen hundred bucks. I've got to use this. Oh, <laughs> no, 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 no. Just, you know,
0: let it marinate.
1: Yeah, exactly. Let it marinate. Just let it, let it. sit there. Just simmering away, and then all of a sudden, bang! Mm-hmm. Yep. Then you can play it down. But that's the problem with research because you you touched on it several times yourself. Many times the researchers are doing things that are so isolated and so abstract that we can't we can't put it into a training program because it it never existed in a training program in that yeah. type of environment.
0: Yeah, it's in a vacuum.
1: It's in a vacuum exactly, and that becomes very very difficult to 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 sort of get out. And and at the moment, I've i I from time to time I go on the internet and I type in things and ask. And I'm trying to look for where is there anybody at the sort of the big places around the world that are doing sports science degrees? Um, are they looking at a at a complete training process like what what you do in a year?
0: Mm-hmm. No, right? and that's if the one thing taught- I've always wanted was can we get a longitudinal study of training methods and looking at different training methods, seeing what worked, what didn't, nothing. So then what do we do? Well, we talk to each other. We, we reach out, we try to get information from those who we can, because that's where the longitudinal studies are happening. You know, uh, they're happening in the field, in the trenches and, you know, the school of hard knocks will, will, <laughs> will show you if you're on the right path or not.
1: Yeah, no, no, it's, uh. you know, I, <clears throat> I've, I've tried to do things to fit into my, you know, my life and um, where I've been working and and, and sometimes because of um, the way track and field is in, in Australia, I moved to Europe um, and I, I today I have a Swedish passport because with an Australian passport I couldn't get into many European countries because of mm-hmm. visas and everything. Um, yeah. So I've got a Swedish passport and my wife is Swedish. Um, so I can get in everywhere. I, I don't have to, you know, today I can travel anywhere in Europe. I don't have, I have to, you know, even ask for a visa. You're allowed cool. to stay 90 days in most places. Um, like, for example, I'm going to Thailand now with the group. They've all got to get visas. I can stay with my passport um, for, for 90 days. Nice. No, no, no questions asked. Um, so that means that, being in Europe, I've been able to do things and move around and and, and speak to people and, and you know in, in a way that you you know in Australia you're very isolated. I mean it's it's really is it's a it's a continent, but it's it's mm-hmm. there's not people living on that continent, um, and you know there isn't a, there isn't all that many sort of conflicting in, in views of in, of uh, of um, of interest, so that mm-hmm. you know, you're not going to get subjected to sort of like that, 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 right. it's sort of like everybody's virtually in that little, you know, there is mm-hmm. a, there's a box. Um, yeah. And uh, it's, diffi- it's difficult to sort of, it's been difficult both in, in Australia and in Sweden because they're different, they've got different systems, but um, track and field coaches is not a, is not a profession. Um, mm-hmm. you, you know, you can't work as a track and field coach. Uh, that's why I, I ventured into professional football with, with the Italian national team and, and, and that, and then in, into hockey because th- they've got money, they've got money to spend, right. and they will spend money in strength and conditioning. Um, whether it's track and field clubs, have virtually got no money whatsoever. Um,
0: yeah, it's almost a charity work that you're doing.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and in most coaches in Australia, I mean, I've got four or five coaches that I, you know, uh, very close friends with australia who 've all got groups, but they all work professionally, so their athletes actually pay you know per week yeah. the coach, and that 's how they make a living
2: mm-hmm.
1: they 've got no funding from the federation they 've got no funding from you know from whatever um yeah. they they run a you know their own facilities um and and i that 's virtually what i did it for, for many years in sweden i had my i had my gym and mm-hmm. i was predominantly i was just lecturing, and I was testing people with Muscle Lab with my force plate and the Muscle Lab encoder and, and the EMG that that's part of it, the big system that I have. And then I would just lecture people and say, "Okay, given these results, this is what I would do." Mm-hmm. And when or and what they did it, I don't know. Some of them came <laughs> back and tested, it and they were going in the right direction. Some people did one test and never came back. Um, you know, in the early years, it was it was sort of like, yeah. That was it. Um, but <clears throat> slowly but surely, you know, people realise that they've got to train smarter. Um, and, and, and training, you, you'll find that professional athletes who are, you know, professional hockey players, they, they, they are, you know, they're, they're smart guys. I mean, they're not, they're not stupid. And mm-hmm. they realise that, you know, one of the big things that they've, they've noticed, and especially the Swedes, was that the better they were physically... The bigger contracts they could get in, in, in NFL and uh, in, in NHL, um, because they needed to be able to stand up to the, the the amount of games that they were playing. Instead of fifty games, they were playing eighty games in the NHL. They yeah. needed they needed a, they needed more. They needed to you know to get a little bit heavier, but mm. they couldn't lose their, their power and speed uh, and the technique that they had from Sweden. But they they needed to become more resilient. Um, to be able to withstand, you know, the fact that they're playing 80 games. And with in, 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 in playoffs and everything, these guys are playing up to 100 games.
2: And That's a grind, are, man.
1: Yeah. They, 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 I mean, it's crazy. But You think about – and, and a lot of people – so when I, when I got into hockey, they were saying, you know, oh, this guy went over there and, you know, he's one of the best in Sweden and, you know, fell apart. And, and, and for me, it was like, well, shit, he's playing 100 games. I mean, yeah, twice as, <laughs>
0: twice as many.
1: Twice as many. And, and what did you do for your strength and conditioning? Well, guess what? They ran more five kilometres. <laughs> that, yeah, that, that was like, that was the, the thing they were doing in the 80s. They, you know, that you'd ask them, okay, what did you do? Oh, we've done more, much more cardio work this year. Really, cardio work. Right. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's going to that's do it for you. You know, I had a couple of guys who came over, you know, when they came home at the end of the year, came back to my centre and they you know, said, you're right. I said, yeah, I know I was right. And then they, yeah. you know, they sat down and they listened and they went back and there's a couple of guys there that had, from the town next to me that have played 10 years in the NHL. And I'd say that I had a little bit of, you know, I planted a few seeds in their brain that they, they needed to do things on a different level if they were going to be able to sustain playing at that sort of level, play 100 games a year. Oh, yeah. they, they've got to be at their best at the playoffs it's yeah. one thing the grind of the season, but then when you go to the to the to the playoffs, that's when you want to be able to, you know, pull pull the the next hit, you know, hit that next level. Yeah. And if you if you're if you're out of fuel by the time you get to the the playoffs, well, good luck with that one.
0: Mm-hmm. It's too bad the Italian football team didn't uh, didn't take your advice.
1: Yeah, that 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 is. I mean, that's that's a funny one because I wrote. They asked me because I was brought in to to be a. Uh, a consultant for them uh, for their for their strength and conditioning team, uh, and look at specific di- things about how to develop um, and contain and, and and keep their fitness levels over over a tournament. Um, and I I spoke to virtually every team in Italy: Milan, Juventus, Sampdoria, Napoli, and their strength and conditioning coaches, um, and the the national coach. He and, the, and his team—they—they they understood, you know, that yeah, we need as an Italian, as Italians, we need to, you know, lift our physical game considerably. Mm-hmm. Um, and he wanted to change things. And the federation—well, no, not the federation, but the, the big clubs like Milan, Juventus, Inter. Yeah. The three clubs. Yeah, so they, they they dictate sort of the policy. So if we were doing things in the national team that, for example, the Juventus players had never done, they weren't allowed to do it. End of story. Mm-hmm. That was mm-hmm. it. So the, the national coach, he, he said, look, can you write me a report and what you think? So I wrote a three-, four-page report, um, and I said, this is what I think you guys should do. And he was, yep, I agree fully. Uh, and he wanted to make changes, the federation, and with the, those big clubs. You know, yapping in the background. They didn't do any changes, so the Italians are virtually doing exactly the same thing they were doing wrong in 2012. They have they have been doing up until now, and this year they got knocked out of the the qualifying for the World Cup by a little ship nation, um Monte, Montenegro. I think. I mean, yeah. they, honestly, they're a, they're a C team, and they get knocked out by these guys. It's it's a it's a scandal. It really is it's crazy. They, it, the Italians have got such good skills and technique um, but their physical level, I mean I, I did, long story short, I did some very, very easy to do tests uh, of change of direction. So we had two different tests. They came into a, a box where they had to change direction in different directions at five and a half, six metres per second and then they came into that box at about eight and a half metres per second and then we saw what happens. And long story short, at eight and a half metres per second, the wheels just exploded. So they were all conditioned to, to come in and do things and change directions at about six metres per second. Now, in a game of football, there are many se- sequences where they're scoring goals and, and you know, making a, a move upfield and so forth, or even in defence where they're moving, you know, very fast. Now, if you can't in a in a in a test do this once two or three times what's going to happen when you've played 70, 70 minutes of a 90 minute yeah. game with fatigue um so they, they were they weren't even on the map um so i said to them look this this is this is where you guys are and I had this is where it gets really crazy I had guys who are getting I mean who are making money I mean they're they're all driving Ferraris I mean I'm a big mm-hmm. car fan Walking past yeah. the car park was just look ridiculous. Uh, it was like, <laughs> oh. um, but they were producing twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen watts per kilo body weight.
0: Oh man, that ain't gonna cut it.
1: <laughs> you know what? I was absolutely sort of i I had a long lecture with them, and I said, "Look, I'm I'm absolutely flabbergasted. I just don't really have words for this because." For me, these levels, they're so low that the fact that you guys are actually able to do something out on the field is, is beyond me. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's a miracle because these levels are honestly, I said, I could go to the local track and field club here in Italy, pick up some 13-, 14-, 15-year-old male long jumpers that are jumping five and a half, six metres. They'll kill you physically. Yeah. And they actually said, no, no, it's not possible. So I did exactly that. I found a. I found a, a young boy. I think he was sixteen or seventeen. He was jumping nineteen feet in a long jump,
2: mm.
1: and he killed. He killed them in everything. He was faster. He had more power, per kilo body weight, and he was. Um, he was actually stronger. Yeah. And these guys are supposedly full-time professional soccer players. And I said to them, "Okay, experiment is over. Do you realise how much potential you've got in your?" your sport
0: yeah how much they could gain
1: oh and but. 10 years down the road and they're doing exactly the same thing it's going to be interesting because my, my son is a professional football player, he's a goalkeeper um and he's listened to his dad um and um <laughs> he was at the west ham football academy and they were grinding away and he, he would just say "Look, no, we don't do it that way who's we and, well my dad does this for a living oh really yeah and uh, he's what is he? He's one ninety two. He's a tall lad. He weighs 86, 87 kilos. Now, in a goal, it's seven meters wide. Yeah. He's got to be able to throw himself seven meters down to the corners, um, and he's got to be able to be, you know, do things, jump, move, stop, um, start. Yeah. The whole, the whole thing. And he was doing. When before he left Sweden, he was playing in the second division as a young man, um, and then he decided one day he came home, I'm going to I'm going to England. What? He moved to England um, because he said goalkeepers in Sweden aren't good enough, uh, and I'm never going to be learn how to be a good goalkeeper. if mm-hmm. the, if the level is, is as bad as it is in Sweden, because we don't play um, that physical sort of a game, so he left. But anyway, he, you know, we we were talking, and he I said to him so. What, what, what have you been doing in training? And, you know, he'd always have to sort of fake injuries and say he wasn't feeling well and so forth. <laughs> you know, he was doing like, they'd go for a five-kilometre kilo, run. That was warm-up. And then they would be doing stuff like, oh, there's just... A little kettlebell
0: like, squat or something.
1: <laughs> it was just so much crap. It was just ridiculous. Like it was not uncommon for him, for example, to do a five kilometer run, or three, four times a thousand meters repetitions, and then they would come in, and, the, and their strength and conditioning coach would put up hurdles at about fifty centimeters, and then they'd do hurdle bounds. And you know, half yeah. the players would be tearing calf muscles, and there was yeah, exactly. Guy, he was he, one guy actually ripped his Achilles tendon, oh. and you know. And I, I just my, so my son um, said, "Look, Dad, you, you know you can't talk to these guys." So he was faking injuries and faking. Yeah, that, that's how he got out of doing this training. So he's a goalkeeper. I mean, he should be doing something similar to what a triple jumper, high jumper. That's right. the sort of training, and that's what he's done. Yeah. Um, so he, he did some fitness fitness testing. Now he's 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 got a new agent and and. Um, he looks like he's going to get a new contract here, and they did some fitness testing with him. And the team that he went to here um, in England, they um, he was the third fastest player, and they were just absolutely just how in the hell can you be that fast? You're a goalkeeper, and, you know. And then um, they they did they went to the gym, and he squatted. He did a half squat, I think, or a quarter squat at one eighty kilos, and they were just mm-hmm. going, what the hell? You know, in Italy, for example, if I put seventy kilos on the bar, they screamed because they got marks in their on their skin. Oh. Um and then he did a hundred. Then he did a hundred and ten kilo bench press, and that freaked them out. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, like like a one ten kilo bench press. I'd say two two 240, two two forty five uh, pound bench press. And there was nobody in the team that was even lifting their own body weight virtually, and he he was he was sort of at one and a half times his body weight, and they just could not, you know, like normally golf keepers sort of look a little bit sort of bit of a couple of fat yeah. around the, you know, and um, not very fast, not, you know, no explosives, and not agile, And um, but then you look at somebody like Neuer, the German, he's six mm-hmm. foot five, weighs 105 kilos, and if you realise, if you're 105 kilos and you've got to move fast, there's only one recipe that's going to fix that because you're not going yeah. to move 225 pounds fast unless you've got some something in those quads and in those glutes. Otherwise, yep. you you ain't going nowhere, brother. No. <laughs> you know it's it's a, it's just physics. You know it's just physics. It, it, you, either you've got that and you you starve yourself to 45 kilos, then yeah. you're going to move. But you're not going to move for very long. Yeah. But yeah, no. So.
0: Maybe those were the coaches in the conference saying their athletes were too strong and too fast. <laughs> like, oh, we, we can't handle that.
1: I mean, to me, uh, you know, hockey was there. They're so far ahead of soccer. It's ridiculous. Soccer is still the, the most underdeveloped sport in the world. Yeah. They they are, they are so far behind yet. They, they, they say that go to, for example, there's a legendary sort of bubble around the thing called Milan lab, which is, mm-hmm. AC Milan. I've been to AC Milan. I got in there. Honestly, I've got more stuff here than they've ever had in their lab. I said to them, where's your force plate? Um, Where's your EMG testing? Where's your encoder? And I I threw up all these things and I said, i have been using these for 10 years. And you call yourself a lab? Lab for what? So there was this mystique that this Milan lab and all they were doing was... Glorified uh, circuit work. It was it was piss poor to be to be honest. It was just ridiculous. And this was called Milan Lab. And all the Italians have got this notion that this is some sort of a you know area area fifty one sort of place in Italy where you know the shit happens at at that highest level. And it was and I that's what I thought as well because this was you know the the whole picture and you know there this. Mystique around Milan Lab, and I get mm-hmm. there, and it's like, and I virtually had to sign papers, you know, but <laughs> I wasn't allowed to film. I couldn't, you know, talk to
0: anybody. NDA. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly, and in, in, in NDA, <laughs> and I get in there, and it's like, what? Where's where's? And I was expecting, you, know, there's a, there's another room. There's yeah. got to be another apartment here somewhere, because, and I said, I said to the guy, finally that So this is Milan Lab. There's no more. There's no more. There's not another, There's not a lab somewhere, like another room. Oh well, no, this is me. No I love. Guess so, I, I need to get
0: into soccer.
1: soccer. Yeah, go. <laughs> yeah. but honestly, to get in there is so difficult because they are so conservative. Yeah. Holy shit. They don't understand speed. They don't understand power. They don't understand. There's so much that they. All they do is just grind away, and they they're. They're what they call speed work is it's not even warm up acceleration work. They call it speed work. And that's why you get, for example, in it's very. I mean, you've, every year, virtually in the Premier League in England, you'll get a club that everybody pulls a hamstring. Everybody. Yeah,
0: they're not. They have no loading in their program. There's no. There's no adaptations going on.
1: You can't. You can't have any adaptation at forty, fifty percent loads. Yeah. You know, and, and the strength and conditioning coaches, they are scared shitless of doing anything because if they do things, they'll get fired. So they, yes. they, they're the managers who know absolutely nothing about strength and conditioning. They actually go in and say, I want my players to be conditioned and I want this and I want that and I want this. And that's what I said to the national team, or to the to the coaches, you know, in Italy. I said, "You want to play at eight and a half meters per second, but you're conditioning them at five and a half meters per second. So, gaposis. You Mm -hmm. you think that's going to work? No, it's not going to work. And and they just simply would not listen. You know, it was just no, 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 no.
0: Crazy. Well, yet they're getting the big bucks.
1: Well, yeah, well, that's the crazy thing. In Italy, the managers are making f- absolute fortune, as in the Premier League in, in, in England, strength and conditioning coaches are being paid nothing. It's, they're, they're, they're getting really shitty um, salaries, actually.
2: Wow.
1: It, I mean, it's, a, a head strength and conditioning coach at a Premier League club is probably making US... 50 grand a year, 60 yeah, that's it.
0: That's nuts.
1: Yeah, 30, they're, they're making sort of 30, 40,000, 50,000, 40,000 pounds. Yeah, yeah i is, is very common. I mean, you go to an NFL club, an NHL club, and you know, the, the head strength and conditioning coaches, um, I mean, they're, they're making 100 grand, 150, 200, 250 yeah. 50 grand a year. Um, but uh, in the Premier League, no. Mix.
0: It's amazing, really.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I did some work with Everton, and when the first time I came to Everton, they were they were cleaning out the whole gym um, and all the Kaiser equipment that they had. They were that was getting moved out of the building, and I said, are you refurbishing, uh, you know, the gym?" No, we're throwing it out. And I said, "What?" I said, yeah, we're throwing it out. And I said, "Why?" Oh, it doesn't work. I, I didn't. I didn't even. I didn't even ask the next question. I just said, oh, okay, right, and I walked away. <laughs> that was it. I just, I just, I, 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 had no answer. I just, okay, right, okay, thanks.
0: Yeah, that's nuts. I,
1: yeah, they, they, um, they bought a 1080 Sprint and um, I don't work with the company anymore, but they, right. they asked me to come over because I knew that I worked with Sprint and so forth and they wanted to know a little bit more. No, actually, they didn't. They bought a quantum system, mm. um, and they wanted to know a little bit more about how how I used it in my train in my work as a as a professional coach. Um, and I, I, they brought me over, and, and yeah, and they were cleaning out the gym, and they said, "Oh, this doesn't work." So I was just trying to think. Okay, so what I'm about to tell them is going to rock them to the foundations because. They've just bought a piece of equipment that does exactly what Kaiser does, but it <laughs> doesn't do all. So if, if Kaiser doesn't work, well then, shit, this isn't going to work either, because so this is going to be the most expensive clothes hanger in the world. And I believe that was exactly what it was. They they used it for a month, I heard, and then after that, it was never used. Wow! So they bought equipment for seventy, yeah, seventy grand, I think, uh, the, the big system cost. And then used it for a month, and after that, it was that was it. It was turned off, and and they were using the Smith machine because the two towers is connected to a Smith machine, right? And they were using a Smith machine as a Smith machine. That was it. Man, that's
0: just it. Just goes to show how much potential there is for better performances out there, but it it just gets squandered by whether it's you know whether it's the the party officials that you were dealing with or the team officials or the you know the managers or whoever it is it's like you know like when you were in china they could just come and say oh that guy yeah he's he's off the team even though he's got plenty of potential or
1: oh,
0: yeah. or not willing to train their athletes even though that's what athletes that's like the definition of an athlete is training and developing yourself to be the best that you can it's it's yeah. quite astounding really
2: yeah
0: yeah well i appreciate your time man i know that we i don't want to hold you for your hold you hostage for your entire uh free day here before you go travel around the world but
1: uh no problem i'm I'm about to to go and uh actually jump on a bike and do a hit session on a, on a bike
0: oh there you go i yeah. uh the last thing i'll say is for after college because when i was in college running track we did a lot of you know 350s 450s like a lot of long running and it just it beat me up it was too much so then i went to the opposite end of the spectrum and only did like 30s and 40s and flying 20s and did zero tempo and finally this year i'm, I'm reintroducing tempo I'm, I'm doing it and so i the pain that you're about to feel in your hit session i've been i've been dealing with that a little bit but i, I think it's gonna i think it's gonna benefit me at least in the 200 so well,
1: well see, my I think... it's, it's a good way of um, sort of keeping my cardiovascular system. And it, it. I mean, I do a, a very, very short session. I, I warm up um, the bike, and then at 5, 7, 9, 11, and 13 minutes, I, I go mm-hmm. flat out 20 seconds yep. and then just sort of roll in between. So the whole session takes 16 and a half minutes with a three-minute cool down. Oh. Um, but it gets my heart rate elevated, and, you know, it, it really – it it does it, it does what five eight kilometers of running would do. Yeah,
2: um, totally.
1: Um, as far as cardiovascular, but then he's got so many other benefits with it with with uh, regards to the the uh, elevated metabolism um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: that's that's churning away for for hours. time. I've 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 always been able to keep my weight. I, I virtually weigh the same as I did when I was an athlete. i I've, I've got less muscle mass, but mm-hmm. I'm still Pretty fit for being, you know, at the age I am. Um,
2: yeah.
1: A lot of my 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 peers, I I have to say, they they are a lot heavier than I am. Um, <laughs> but I've been able to stay. I, I have a pretty good sound um, nutrition um, mm-hmm. that I stuck stuck with. I've learned um, what works for me, and then I I time to time I you know I, I do a couple of months of of. Regular hit workouts, um, three times a week, and then lift three times a week, and that's mm-hmm.
0: yeah. Hey, you're good to go.
1: Yeah. Well, well at, I really... at least I, I, I at least I, I, I'm not falling apart as Randy calls it. What is what's his What's his? Everything goes south. Yeah. yeah. He, yeah. <laughs> just, well, I'm trying to ahead. ride the.
0: I'm trying to ride the wave before everything goes south, and so. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, well, I, get, I get these. I have these sort. I get these pictures sometimes when Randy says things, and you know, it takes me three months to get these pictures out of my brain. Yeah. You know, <laughs> sort of, oh, no, no, I don't want to see that. You know.
0: That's funny. Well, yeah. I really, really appreciate your time and all your insights, and I look forward anyway. to uh, continuing to apply this in my training. With the athletes I train and well, I'm sure I'll uh pester you here in the new near future as I uh apply some of this stuff in training. But uh in the meantime, I hope your travels are safe and everything goes well with your team and um Thank
1: you. Thank you everyone. We'll,
0: we'll check it's in cool. soon.
1: Yeah,
0: awesome. definitely. Thanks, Rolf. Have a great day.
1: You too. Bye-bye.
0: bye. Bye.